0: Today on the Cule Podcast, we have so many guests on today's show. We have Laura Story from SB Nation to talk blues. We have Tate Harris from the O Podcast to talk some OHL later on. And all the way from just across town here in Grand Rapids, Rachel and Janae Anderson to talk some Detroit Red Wings and some Griffins too. All that and more here on the Cule Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kuehl Podcast. I am your host, once again, the insider to the insiders, Tyler Kehl, And a little bit of an interesting show this week. We have so many guests stacked across the board, ready to go for this epic show. Well, I would not say epic. It's, I mean, it's going to be a good show. A little bit of news this past week, but before we get into that, this is my time to remind you folks to get involved with today's episode I, I, I said that, now i pretty much realize I sounded like I was demanding you people. No, just, you know, if you guys want to, just go on the Twitter, follow us at The QL Podcast. Use the hashtag The QL Podcast. Hashtag TKP. Let us know what you're doing. How are you guys today? Is everyone doing well? I'm sorry. I've had a lot of coffee today and probably too much. I'm pretty sure all of our guests today just have no idea what's going to happen our first guest, who we'll get to here in just a few minutes, Laura Astorian. I remember she was on right before the Stanley Cup Finals last year. She kind of knows how I work. I remember, of course, Alex was here when we talked to her last. So shes I'd like to think she's kind of prepared for what's about to happen. Now, that said, I don't remember how much coffee I had that day. I remember we gave it to the Bruins a little bit, but I don't remember going overboard. I remember I was at work today, and I was saying to myself, I'm like, man, I... I brewed up myself a big, you know, a big jug of coffee to make sure I had enough for my mug in the morning for work and then some before the podcast because, you know, you work a long day and, you know, back because I'm actually working again, you work a long day and you just need a little pick me up right, right before the show. And sometimes, you know, if I have too much coffee, it leads into mayhem. And then that's why I was like today, I was like, you know, if I have coffee right now, I'm pretty sure we're going to get evicted from our apartment so I, I chose not to, not to take the java here before today's episode. We're just going to ride this one out. And if it makes sense, awesome. If it doesn't, so be it. So probably the biggest news of the last couple of days is the fact that the American Hockey League announced yesterday morning on Monday, May the 11th, that they will cancel the remainder of the 2019-2020 season. And if this comes as a shock to you guys, um, okay. I guess, I mean, it was almost inevitable at this point, given the financial status of the league. And I say the financial status not as in like the, the league is struggling. I'm just saying the way the league works money wise to try to figure out how to get all of a sudden games into their arenas and travel right now. Because, you know, right now, a lot of teams travel by bus. And if you've ever been on a charter bus, you're shoulder to shoulder with players for hours on end. And, you know, there's those Calder Cup finals between the East and West. I mean, I don't know if Bakersfield would be a team to make it all the way, but say Bakersfield makes it to the Calder Cup final, and they have to go up and play all the way in, I don't know, Albany or something like that, play in the Northeast, or play the Marlies up in Toronto. I mean, that's that's not a quick trip, guys. That's that's across the country. Now, yes, they would fly, I know, but if you think they're going to be flying on, you know, like a nice fancy jet like Air Force One or Red Wing 1 or whatever they call the Red Wings plane, but, you know, the NHL planes. It's very unlikely. They'll probably be flying a little chartered flight where they're shoulder to shoulder, nose to nose, and that's just something they don't want to risk. That's from a health perspective, and obviously there's a lot of money involved in stuff, so I am, unfortunately, that is out of my out of my, I guess, above my pay grade. Then again, I don't get paid for this, so it doesn't make sense. However, it's not a I mean, it's, it stinks, you know, because I know there's a few AHL teams out there that were going to have some good seasons. And I'm pretty sure now with the fact that with the Vegas Golden Knights obtaining the San Antonio Rampage, that I'm sure San Antonio would like to see a few more games and like to have a proper ending, if you will. Because don't forget, that team's been there for, I think, 16 or so seasons. So, I mean, they were there right before the lockout. The, uh, the year-long lockout. So that team has had some, and they've had some pretty good hockey teams there. And I know they've kind of bounced around with who they've had as their affiliate and whatnot because they are a privately owned team. They were owned, I think, by the same guy that owns the San Antonio Spurs. Yet, you know, that's that, I'm not saying it's a bad hockey town, but, you know, it's, it's a money thing. And the Vegas Golden Knights, they wanted a team closer rather than having the Chicago Wolves, which now it sounds like that the... Carolina Hurricanes may part ways with the Charlotte Checkers and take on the Wolves, so wouldn't that be something? And I mean something that's not in a good something. But, you know, it's it's a you know, the game's gonna change. You're gonna see some teams, you know, kinda have a little bit of issues. And I've talked to people around the HL that have said out loud and said, Hey, you know, we don't know who's gonna play next year, what it's gonna look like. You may just have, you know, fifty some odd games and you may play teams around your area, but you'll mostly stick inside your division, which The divisions can be a little wonky at times in the AHL. I don't know if there'll be any realignment. I know when David Andrews put out his his release, you know, saying how, you know, it's obviously a huge detriment to the league to have to cancel their season. However, it's something they have to do. And I understand that, you know, you want to start focusing on next season because now it's not like, all right, how are we going to finish this season? It's how are we going to start next season, which is almost a bigger test than trying to get this season up. Because you can try to finish it, try to do the playoffs, whatever, but trying to have a full season next year. And that's what the NHL probably is trying to look at right now with going from trying to get the finals and all that taken care of to, all right, now we're going to have to do next season with even more guidelines of health and safety protocol and so on and so forth. Of course, with the safety protocol, I know we're talking about live sports. UFC 249 was this past weekend. Apparently, it was a pretty good main event that's what I heard, because I, I I don't have money, everybody. So it's kind of hard for me to some do these uh, these pay-per-view fights. Uh, you know, if, you know, it's hard for me. Anyways, hey, some bars I know hold host the fights, but guess what? Bars aren't open here, at least here in Michigan. Regardless, I am excited for this Sunday because NASCAR is going back live. They're going to be at Darlington this week. And I yes, I'm a NASCAR fan. Huh. You're a NASCAR fan? You're from the South, no. I've been a NASCAR fan my entire life. I work at Berlin Raceway just outside of Grand Rapids, downtown Grand Rapids beautiful race track. One of the NASCAR sanctioned short tracks here in Michigan. And it's it's fun. I love it. And they've been doing those pro invitational races, those iRacing, like like the electronic racing. It's actually been pretty cool and very exciting. But now to have it go back to having real racing, it's going to be great to see it again, especially at a track like Darlington, the lady in black, as they call it. So obviously news there. And it's a you know, I'm I'm glad that the HL, I think, finally stepped up and said something like, hey, you know what? It's going to be pointless. Let's just move on and get ready for next season and let you know, there's going to be a lot of call ups. Now, I think the NHL is going to probably allow most, if not all of the HL players that are under an NHL contract to probably at least be a scratch on the roster. I'm sure there's going to find way to some expansion just because at those players, you know, they get paid, right? You know, you want them to make sure they can get their money. So even though the financial situation and the salary cap we've talked before here on the QL Podcast with the National Hockey League is still up in the air of what's going to happen in the foreseeable future. So, I mean, it's all ifs and buts at this point. And if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have ourselves a million dollars in a merry, merry Christmas. The big point we're going to get to today, and we're going to wait for our guest to come on, our first guest, Laura Storian, we're going to talk to her about Brendan Leipzig. Yes, it happened six days ago now at this point, because it happened, at least it came out on Wednesday, the 6th of May, as we are recording this episode on May the 12th. However, I've not been able to talk about it. I said a couple things on Twitter, minor things, because I, I didn't want to blow up because I knew I was going to be able to talk about it on the show. If you think you're over it at this point, I get it, and I, you could skip through the next, the first little bit of our interview with Laura today. However, we're going to acknowledge it. We're going to talk about it, and there may be some things that some people disagree with and agree with. But we're going to go into it just a little bit. We're not going to go into a 45-hour-minute soliloquy because we want to talk with Laura about the St. Louis Blues. But we will get to that for sure. And with that, let's bring her on, Laura Astorian from SB Nation, coming up next here on the QL Podcast. And now, welcoming back to the show for the second time, the site manager and one of the lead writers for St. Louis Game Time on SB Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Laura Astorian. Laura, how are we doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Oh, we're just, we're doing. That's, 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 yeah. that's the best way to put it. How are things, how are things down in Georgia?
1: Um, well, I, I haven't really ventured out too awful much because our, our governor is kind of an idiot, but, um,
0: if you ask, if if you ask our folks here in Michigan, they're saying the same thing. It's just chaos. Has anyone stormed your Capitol building yet with firearms yet?
1: Um, not yet.
0: Ooh. Okay. So we got you beat there.
1: It's because our governor caved like before they got a chance, he saw it on their calendar and he was like, you know what? Let's open up the nail salon.
0: Hey, you know what? I'm glad this show is not being recorded with video because my hair right now is just absolutely atrocious. And I, <laughs> I think we're ready for the next pandemic whenever it happens to at least have a couple of salu- salons open, you know, you know, just like the great clips or whatever, the supercuts. you know, just because we need something because I have scissors on my table and even my wife almost asked me to cut her hair. And I'm like, I'm not being responsible. I'm not being held responsible for that. Cause no
1: no no I, I don't I don't I think that I think it's better to play it safe, like I need at least six inches cut off my hair because I was sick over the February break that we have, and then spring break was kind of you know quarantining um so it's been a little while since I've gotten my hair cut, so at least I have enough to donate you know to lock to love or whoever is is doing that, but well, that's good, I yeah. miss places.
0: Right, of course. Of course, you and I said off air. We were talking about how you're a teacher. I guess Mm -hmm. some people don't see. I mean, they see like the commercial saying, "Hey, you know, thank you for all the people that are helping out." What is like the hardest part of being a teacher now, like compared to actually being in the classroom?
1: Making sure that the kids are like in the classroom. You can kind of tell if they're listening, and if they're not, you can repeat yourself or be like, "Hey, pay attention." But it's really hard to tell if people are actively. Reading and following the instructions that I'm giving, which, I mean honestly, they're teenagers, so I expect them to not pay attention. But the instructions I need to follow for the AP exams they they're kind of important.
0: Oh yeah, so just a little bit.
1: That that part is the part that's most like most different. That and I do I do actually. I do actually miss the kids. I had a lot of really, really good kids this year, so it 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 sucks to not be able to see them every day. But it's it's better to be safe than sorry, and you hopefully know, they're all doing okay.
0: You know, the worst part is if like they heard like your class like heard this, they'd be like, "But I hate Miss Historian. Because she's the worst teacher no, in the world." No, no. I'm kidding. No,
2: okay, no.
1: <laughs> I've gotten a lot of emails of. <laughs> why can't we come back? And Aww. I am like, uh, like, well, because you guys are germ factories, even outside of a pandemic, we, uh, uh we don't need you. spreading this. You know, too.
0: it's funny. Cause I was talking about the, cause I, I mentioned off top of the show, how the AHL did cancel their season yesterday. And, yep. you know, some people, I mean, it, it's mostly universally. Okay. Everyone's like, all right, that's whatever. But I kind of explained like, listen, not many. I mean, the California teams have to fly just because of where they're at, but a lot of teams just bus everywhere. Yeah. And if you've been on a charter bus or a school bus, there's not many, you know, open areas. It's all very tight fit and very compact. And even if someone coughs, it goes through four or five teams. I remember when I was on a road trip this year with my Davenport team, we all had to take vitamins stuff like that. I mean, because half the team was sick and we didn't want to spread it. You know, I mean, it's I mean, it's a you know nature of the business, but you got to be safe if you can, right?
1: Oh yeah, and I mean, all it takes is one person, and then you know they're like typhoid Mary, and then the entire team has it, and you know, I mean, that's and that's my concern about the NHL and Major League Baseball coming back, and some of the ideas are thrown around, and it's like, well, yeah, you can shove them all into a biodome, but you know, what if a delivery guy has it and drops off some stuff, and somebody signs for something, and then you know, so I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just, I, I miss stuff being normal, but I also don't know, you know, cause I'm obviously not an epidemiologist. So like, I don't know what the path is that we're going to have to take to, to get everything going again.
0: Yeah. I've talked with some people. I've actually talked with a few HL, HL broadcaster. You said it's going to be tough to have a season next year and kind of <laughs> looking, looking towards that kind of a little bit off script here. What, because the San Antonio Rampage were purchased by the Vegas Golden Knights, so they'll have their own agent yeah. team just south of there. Where do you think, is there any whispers of any kind about what the Blues are going to have the next year? Because obviously San Antonio has been their team for the last couple of seasons.
1: Yeah, you know what? Um, the Blues did um, sign, and my mind just, well, let me look it up. My mind just went blank. Um, they teamed up with someone and...
0: Because they used to be the Chicago Wolves for the longest time, from my remember. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Springfield. It's the Springfield Thunderbirds.
0: That's right. So they're just going to do a pairing with them, because I think that's Florida's team as well, if I'm not mistaken. They'll just do a split team.
1: Yeah, pr- probably. Yeah. I okay. mean, which is which is fine. I mean, like I I was happy with the um, with the affiliation with San Antonio. I thought that worked really well. So I was very disappointed, you know, to to hear. I mean, I, I understand stuff happens, but like I was still disappointed to hear that the rampage had been purchased by you know by Vegas and then you know planning on being relocated. And this is just a horrible way for those fans, you know, to to end the season and say goodbye to their team. Like I feel, I feel really badly for them.
0: Yeah, because they they were they've been there now. I know they've had certain affiliate different affiliations because I remember when Calvin Pickard, when he was with the Avalanche, was playing down in San Antonio, but you know they've been around for i think 16 seasons i think 03 04 was their first year cuz they were there through the both the lockouts and everything so they're you know they're not a team that was a few years and then all oh, the money went bad it's just i mean it's the economy and the spurs i think because the, they're owned by the spurs and they just didn't want to own them anymore. yeah,
1: yeah. and i mean be, it's like it's almost a little deja vu with the atlanta thrashers you know maybe maybe basketball ownership groups shouldn't own hockey teams
0: well, you know, I mean, hey, that's why I'm just laughing because I'm like, wasn't Houston the big idea a couple of years ago and they're probably like, maybe that's not a good idea. But we're all,
1: yeah.
0: I'm almost glad that didn't that fell through because, well, well, now would be the worst time to try to get a hockey team together. Um, yeah. But we'll go back to the Blues here in a second, but let's let's get into this here. So last Wednesday, it was released the Brennan Leipzig group chat, the Instagram group chat. And you know, I get it. It's the quote-unquote hockey talk. It's the locker room talk. If anyone's ever seen the movie Mystery Alaska, I know it's not the most popular <laughs> hockey movie out there, but
1: is so good.
0: it is amazing. What is said in this room, what happens in this room, stays in the room. I get it. Yes, players talk about things. Trust me. I've played hockey for 16 years. There have been things said about other people in the locker room that are probably a little mean, but yeah. we keep it there. It's private. You know, I mean, it's like our own version of therapy, I guess. You know, you, it's you don't have any—it's player to player confidentiality. When mm-hmm. you go out on social media, I don't care who you're talking to if it's it is a private chat. You you know that it can get out there. As soon as you go to the web or anything like that, yeah. it's possible. And what he said is just reprehensible. It's I I don't get it why you would tell people out loud especially in a game like hockey where players can try to literally kill you. I, yeah. I, Laura, well, I guess, what is your take on it? Because I, I don't know how to follow that into a question other than just asking you, what do you think?
1: No, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much. Like, my first, my first reaction when I saw it was initially like, oh, my God, what an idiot. Like, and then everything he said, oh, well, my Instagram was hacked. And I was like, nobody hacks an Instagram. Somebody took screenshots. Like nobody cares about a fourth liner on the Washington Capitals. It's it's fine. Um, and then you know, I kind of thought about it a little bit more. And then my my next reaction was, oh, he's gonna he's gonna have a bad time going back into that locker room. Um, you know, especially you know, uh, talking about his line mates the way that he did um, <clears throat> to people that aren't on the team. And I kind of I read that part and I was like somebody in that front office is going to have to have a come to Jesus talk with him about that. Um, The other comments, I mean, they're, they're not, they're not appropriate. They're not. um, I don't, I'm not a very, you know, firm believer in talking, uh, talking about other people, you know, in, in, in any manner. I mean, I know we've all said stuff in private conversation, but you know, in, in retrospect, I think most of the stuff we've said, we've probably gone, Oh God, why did I say that? That wasn't cool. You know? And, had a little bit of self-reflection and hopefully kind of realized that sometimes some of the things that we might like pop into our head, maybe don't need to pop out of our mouth. Um, as as far as like the broader hockey culture thing, go, I mean, I'm sure it probably is a little bit of that, but I think it's just culture in general, more than even a hockey culture problem. Um, and I don't, I mean, it's talking that way about other people happened since the dawn of time. And, For for guys to make comments like that about women has happened since the dawn of time. And people have tried since God was a boy to get people to realize, listen, that's not not an appropriate thing for an adult to do. And we're in the year, what, 2020, if it doesn't end at this point? Right. So, I mean, we haven't made any progress on that front. So I don't know how much he's going to other than the loss of income, he's probably ticked off about that. But I honestly, like, I don't know how much folks learn from stuff like this.
0: It's, it's incredibly tough because I know some people are like, wow, I thought hockey was better than this. And I'm like, well, we can go down the list of bad things that have happened over the years. I mean, Oh yeah. I I remember there was Slava Voinov happened before we started this podcast, but then someone said he could get back in the NHL and we just spent an hour and a half just lambasting the idea. And it's, I mean, it's not like this game is, like, the best, you know, oh, they're the best people just because they play hockey compared to, like, the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, whatnot. I get that. But it yeah. they're still people. And, I'm, and one of the things, and I'm not – it's not me trying to knock – I mean, I know, you know, Brett Hall is a blues legend, but he went on Hockey Central on Friday. I think it was Friday or Thursday oh, last yeah. week. And he said, man, we used to be able to do stuff all the time and get away with it. And I just – and I'm like, Brett, your moral compass is off right now. I mean – I,
1: I, yeah, no, I, I read that, and I was like, oh, my God.
0: I, I get what he's trying to say. I get it. You know, everything's under yeah. the microscope nowadays, and I understand that. I mean, shoot, had Brendan Leipzig just been uh, maybe on a phone call with a buddy and said something like that, nothing would have gotten out, but it's Instagram. It's easy to screenshot and stuff, and I get it. It's tougher to be in the spotlight and the limelight these days, but with that, you have responsibility. I mean, even I mean, I try to hold myself in higher regards, even though yeah. I'm no more than just a podcaster, ACHA broadcaster. But that's just, I mean, that's the mindset you got to have. You got to try to set an example. And even if, Oh no, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Laura.
1: No, I mean, I I totally agree. Like I, I read the tweet and at first I was like, Oh God, Brett. No. Um, and then I went back and I sat down and I listened to the interview and I mean, it didn't make what he said me better. A lot of people were taking part of the quote out of context though and saying that, um, he thought that, you know, that not being able to say stuff or do stuff like go to strip clubs and stuff made the game less fun. And what he was he, what he said was, you know, the lack of fighting and roughing and that kind of play made the game less fun. But before that, though, when he was like, well, yeah, we used to be able to get away with all that kind of stuff. I, it was like, you know, that was the early 90s. But nobody cared. Right. Like there's, there, there's a different standard and morals change over time. And. What was cool 20, 30 years ago isn't okay anymore. I mean, all you have to do is watch an old episode of a TV show from, like, the late 90s and kind of go, ooh, some of this humor doesn't land anymore. I mean, people change. Right. And just because something was... I mean, the guys used to drink beer on the bus all the time. They don't do that anymore because people realize that drinking beer and smoking cigarettes in the locker room between periods isn't a good idea. I mean i and i get it because usually anytime i see somebody say something stupid of that tenor you know it's usually a a, an older guy of that age group um and it's just kind of like it's almost expected at this point which is kind of sad like nothing he said surprised me and that's i'm like
0: we're still talking about brett hall correct yeah
1: yeah yeah no nothing nothing hall said i mean he's the guy that got was walking around market street the night before the parade barefoot and drunk. Like I'm not expecting words of wisdom on current events from Brett Hall. Like I'm just, I I just don't.
0: I, you know, it's funny because his father, Bobby Hall was notorious for partying and stuff like that. But then again, that was even before technology was even like technology was a phone, like, you know, the phone at the bar that was, that was technology back then. And maybe a television, a tube as they used to call it. And it's, you know, it's, and it just goes back to, you know, how it is now. I mean, yes, people say things and that's, and I things are still going to be said. Like we're going to have an event 20 years from now where someone's going to say something and it's going to get, and yes, it's going to blow up and it deserves to be. I just, yes, yeah. I, I don't, the people that defend it or try to like, I don't say defend what he said, but like try to give him benefit of the doubt is like understanding that he has this. Brandon Leipzig, I'm going back to, by the way. Yeah. Has this responsibility of being a superstar and, you know, representing not just himself as a you know a hockey player, but he represents a team, an organization and yeah. Know, yeah. A, a a fan base that has, you know, loved the Capitals forever. I mean, guy you know it's gonna sound bad, but like had this happened to a Blair in Florida, I mean the Florida Panthers fans, all twelve of them would have been like, Okay, well, mm-hmm. whatever, but you know, this yeah. is important because He is, you know, he is an athlete and he's one of the top 1%. And when you're going to use, and you think that you're above everything, that's the, that's the part that gets me is, you know, I expect a troll on Twitter to say something stupid like that, or someone dumb on Facebook to say something like that, but not a, not an athlete, not a professional
1: athlete. No. And I mean, it's like, and he's he, part of me is kind of irrit- I mean not ir- well, Okay, part is irritated because he's old enough to know better. The guy's twenty five. It's not like he's a brand new kid in the NHL, and you're representing a multi million dollar company. You know, I mean, like as a teacher, I can't post stuff on social media that is considered inappropriate. I would get either suspended or fired. And it's not a matter of freedom of speech. It's just a matter of companies and businesses and school districts, even though it's a little different for us. I mean, if you do something that makes them look bad, you know, you have the freedom to say whatever you want to say, but they also have the freedom to let you go. Exactly. And I mean, he, he should have realized that like, if you're doing something on the internet, it's going to get out and, and, If you are a representative of whatever organization you're representative of, sometimes there's some stuff that you just don't say. I mean, in his case, some of the stuff he said is stuff that it would be better if he just didn't feel that way, period. But, like, talking about his teammates like that, too, like, you just keep it to yourself. Keep it within the organization in that case. But, I mean, he should have known. He really, honestly... And I know he kind of issued the the perfunctory not an apology, but I mean, even at that point, it, it really genuinely makes me wonder if this is something that he, he learned a lesson of either A, keep my mouth shut about stuff, which would be helpful for him, or B, what I, like the content of what he said was wrong. And, and, and it just... It makes me wonder sometimes with people like that, if they're the, already the kind of person who's going to say something like he said about uh, an opponent's wife or something like that, if, if he gets some punitive measure taken against him, is it a learning experience or does it make him double down?
0: That's the interesting part because, of course, the Capitals did terminate his contract, which I deservedly so. So it'll, oh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens in his future. And I I don't think at this point, any at least anytime soon, any NHL team is going to take that on just because of, you know. Oh, no. And I
1: mean. Well, he, he was on like, what, his fifth team in five years?
0: Yeah, he was. I think. Yeah, because he, he started out with, he was with the Leafs organization. And he, there was talks before he got. Claimed in the expansion draft by Vegas that he could have been a you know a very important player, but they knew they were going to lose him in the draft, so they left him available. And Vegas took him, didn't do a whole lot. Went to the Canucks, had some pretty good games on a very you know very young Canucks team. I think played some with Bo Horvat, played some games with Brock Besser, and that's what kind of grew his stock to be a player that could be picked up by a team like Washington that was going to make a run in the playoffs. So he had, I mean, the thing is he was not a not talented hockey player. I mean, he was. He was capable, he was solid, and he could play those yeah. roles. But now it's gonna, I mean, now you just throw it all away with something dumb. And it's just for me, yeah. you know, people that tried so hard to get no more than single A pro hockey is just unbelievable. I mean, it's, that's, it, that's uh, the,
1: I, yeah, I mean, it's just the opportunity. He just, I mean, he just threw it away because he just couldn't keep his mouth shut and can't not say inappropriate things. And it's like, Dude, you're 25, right. and at some point in in your life, somebody should have been like, "Listen, you don't talk that way about other people. Not even just women, but other people in general. And it's it, not appropriate.
0: No, not at all. And we'll have to wait and see what happens. Whether he stays, you know, if he gets a shot in the NHL, I I can't wait to see that game and see who does what to him. Oh, and, or if he goes yeah. over, even if he goes overseas, I'm pretty sure someone's gonna say, I'm "Like, hey, isn't that the guy? Yep, that is. All right, we got him." Uh, even, oh, yeah. though the, even though the international game, they don't fight. They just whack the
1: heck out of you with their sticks. So it'll still be a good YouTube <laughs> yeah. video. But let's... Oh, yeah. I mean, cause especially for whoever his new line mates are and whatever team he winds up on, um,
0: he's going to have to work overtime to get some trust going with them, I'm afraid. Absolutely. So let's get into something, I would say, a little bit better, but kind of bittersweet <laughs> at the same time. The St. Louis Blues, Laura. And, you know, oh. we talked to you around this time last year In a much better spirit, just because of the fact that it was the Stanley Cup finals, Boston versus St. Louis, 1970 all over again, yada, yada, you know, the whole 49 years later, mumbo jumbo. By the way, I'm sure, of course, I'm sure you know, a couple days ago was the 50th anniversary of the goal by Bobby Orr. Yes. Even though none of us were not even close to being alive, but hey, it happened. But, um, you know, the Blues were looking like a team that was actually probably going to face Boston again in the finals. Both teams were dominant in their own conferences. And St. Louis, I don't want to say they were going to run away with the Central Division title, but they were hanging in there with the Blues. And is that what makes this the more excruciating part of this pause is that knowing the Blues had a chance to make it back to the promised land?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, this is not, I mean, it, that that's something, I mean, like, they were playing so much better. Like they got into, like I don't know what the deal is every year something happens and January and February are just a mess for them. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, like they had fixed that awful slump they were on. Um, and they had been playing so much better. And on top of that, there was also kind of like the whole battle between them and Colorado. So that was, that was fun and suspenseful and, scary but you know so you had that and you no know, marco scandelo had, had been playing really well so fans were excited about having him around and it was just people were really really starting to get I mean, because after the slump a lot of folks were like oh crap here we go again um his blues fans are conditioned to automatically say that anytime something happens um but I mean, there was a lot of hope that they were going to make another go for it. Um, And as much as everybody wanted the Blues to, you know, be Stanley Cup champions in 2020, this is not the way that anybody wanted it to happen, you know? Um, So, yeah. No, I mean, that's really been, I mean, it's it's been a drag. I mean, just without hockey in general, it's been a drag, but... I think for a lot of fans, people were really, actually excited and not being fatalistic about the playoffs for the first time in a really long
0: time. And that, yeah, because the Blues have—it seems like—and I remember there was that run there in the early 2000s with the Joel Quenneville teams, mm-hmm. the Prongers, the McGinnis, the Turgans. Like those teams were always good in the regular season, but just something happened in somewhere in the playoffs that they just couldn't get it done. And most of it was on Roman Turk, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, Oh, remember Brent Johnson? Remember he was a goaltender. Yeah. Oh Uh,
1: yeah. I forgot about him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, that was, uh, I was a wings fan back in Oh two. We love Brent Johnson. That was great. Oh, yeah, no, I'm <laughs>
1: sure you guys do. We
0: love Brent Johnson, one of our favorite goaltenders. <laughs> but speaking of the man between the pipes, you know, it's that was one thing we went into this season with, my brother and I talked about it all the time, is that we were so worried about, is Jordan Bainting out a sophomore slump? Yes, he's a veteran goaltender at the pro game, but at the NHL level, he still was a rookie last year. Was he going to have a sophomore slump? Because it always happens. Braden Holtby even had it with the Capitals. And yeah, he had a little bit of a lull at some points this season, but you know, not awful numbers—a nine-one-two save percentage, two-seven-nine goals against average—was the clear-cut starter. Does it seem like that Bennington is the guy, or are they get, or is, you know, is he the number one guy for the future of this Blues team, or is are you have to wait another season to see if he is consistent at being a number one goaltender here in the NHL?
1: You know, that, that that's a really. Really good question, especially with the Blues um, and their track record of uh, being able to develop a goaltender controversy out of thin air. They're really good at that. um I think for right now, he is. I think that a lot of people are still kind of, I mean, because like you said, his numbers this year weren't astronomically fantabulous like they were last year. And a good part of that is because people have tape on them now. Um, you know, but I, I do think that the organization is really focused on making him their starter. Um, of course, that kind of leads leaves some stuff open with, um, you know, with with Jake Allen and what in the world do you, you know, what do you do with him at this point? Um, and and that's that's the hard thing is Allen's had a great season.
0: Yeah, he's had a real bounce back year, and I know, like, if, if you talked about last year, even the year before, we all laughed, half ah, four point three five million, what an over expenditure. But now it's like, well, this year it looks like four point three five is not bad, and of course now it's almost like you know you're looking at Jake Allen as you looked at Carter Hutton a couple years ago, just because of the yeah. fact that he was, he's now he's so good in the backup role that you know, yes, he has one more year on his contract, but you look at moving him because you have stock in him. And so, Hey guys, I know what he would in the past, but he can still be a good capable backup. You can move that $4.35 million.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of folks have kind of like one thing I've been thinking pretty much the whole season is if he keeps this up, if the blues have to make, which it looks like they will have to make contract space or cap space rather for um, Petrangelo, then Allen, Jake Allen's put himself in a really good position for other teams to to want him, just based on this year. Um, and I mean, I think it's a I, I do think it's a possibility since uh, huso had actually had a pretty good bounce back year uh, with San Antonio. You know, I, I think that um, it's a it's a possibility that you know Allen does get moved this off season wherever whenever the off season is. It's like not like anybody knows that, but I do think that there is a super strong possibility that Doug Armstrong just kinda of looks at Bennington and, and goes, you know, listen, kid, you're, you're our starter now. Full on. No more one A, one B and that that both is exciting and it makes me a little nervous.
0: You know, it's the it's funny part, because we'll get to Petrangelo here in a second, but you know, you talk about how it's been 1A, 1B, and I can think off, I can think off my cuff of the goaltending tams for St. Louis, because like we talk about how the playoffs go, you never know what's going to happen. You know, there was 2014, the awful, I, listen, I love Doug Armstrong, he's done great things. Ryan Miller was not going to be the no, answer no. to that team. I'm sorry. No. I, I I love the, I love the effort. But Ryan Miller in 2014 was not Ryan Miller in the 2010 Olympics. That just wasn't mm-hmm. the case. So, no. and I mean, you look at that it was Ryan Miller, and then I think wasn't it was Elliot there yet, or was that Halak?
1: Um, well, it was Halak for Miller, but Elliot was there. Elliot right, because Halak well.
0: then got flipped to Islanders. Yeah, yeah. And then there was he was
1: playing well, but they were like, "Oh no, we have to." Both of them were playing well, and for some reason. Doug Armstrong saw the opportunity for Ryan Miller and Steve Ott and just jumped on it.
0: Yeah. Steve Ott, that that's a, there's a key that's player. A yeah. That's a player. Yeah, all right. Yeah. But I mean like, yeah. yeah. And then there was a couple of years later in, you know, 2016, the team had such a good run towards the end, you know, the playoffs and Brian Elliott all of a sudden came on like, all right, he's going to be the guy. And then they met San Jose and then that didn't work out. And, and now it's been like, all right, this Jake Allen, Carter Hutton deal. All right. Well, Carter Hutton's looking better. And Allen's looking like, you know, he's going home on leave. You know, where's his mind at? We're going to go with Hutton. And now it's, oh, Jake Allen looks good. Let's give Carter Hutton away. Oh, no. Jake yeah. Allen's not looking good. All right. We'll give this Bennington kid a shot. And that's kind of how we came here. now we're back to a possible. Now, granted, yes, Bennington played the bulk of the games, played 50 of the started 50 of the 71 games, but it's it's so tough, and there's just certain... I mean, I say the St. Louis Blues are pretty much the Philadelphia Flyers of the West. They just can't figure out the goaltending. They yeah. have, they have, you know, say, hey, you're going to be our starter, but then it's like, oh, snap, burst not that good. And then it's just, it goes haywire for them in the playoffs every year.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's almost like it's a matter of... I, I don't know if they're impatient or if they see a small sample size or, or what the deal is. Um, but it, it's very, as, as a fan, it's extremely frustrating. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've been, I'm, I'm very much, I'm not cautious, but I do like a little bit of security and, and knowing what I'm getting in both the starter and the backup. And every time the blues have gotten a good starter backup or one, a one B situation where I can look at them and kind of go, okay, I'm not scared. If something happens to the starter, that's when they, they trade somebody. Or that's when, you know, Doug Armstrong goes, Oh my God, we need to get 5% better. And then trades for Ryan Miller, you know, it's, it's fr- and that's something I'm concerned about with Huso. I mean, like he had a good year last year in the AHL. But so, you know, what does that mean?
0: And and the funny thing is, too, they have in their system. I mean, they had Evan Fitzpatrick, who was a pretty good goaltender in the QMJHL, but they also had a they had a very they have a very big prospect. I don't know if you heard him. His name is Joel Hofer. He's uh, yeah. he's uh, pretty good. He's got a gold medal around his neck uh, thanks to his uh, exceptional play during the World Junior Championships this past year. Pretty much was an absolute, I mean, it's arguably one of the best goaltending performances I think I've seen in the last five or so years. Maybe exception of Carter Hart when he was there, I think 2017 was that year. So the Blues don't – it's not like they don't have prospects as a goaltender. It's the hard part of getting them developed so that with yeah. Bennington – I mean, you do get rid of Jake Allen, and, and then eventually, yeah, you're going to need a goaltender to come up. So it's so hard because I love to say, oh, this goaltender's going to be the next big goaltender. Listen, I didn't think Carter Hart was going to be good in Philadelphia. I'm like, oh, crap. He's not going to be it. He's not going to be able to develop. They're bringing him up too soon. And now he's their starter, so there's that. Yeah. And there, that guy, Brian Elliott, he's still playing too. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's so hard to, I mean, nobody has a crystal ball.
0: I mean, I like to, I could critique a goaltender's ability. I remember I went, I talked about Dustin Wolf, who's a, you know, a great American goaltender within Calgary system. And I remember I said, I'm like, you know, he could be the next guy. Now I'm going to like, all right, if he sucks, I'm going to be in trouble. (laughs) I I like to think playing goaltender for 16 years helped me out, unfortunately. Whenever I predict something's going to happen, it doesn't. Yeah. Even though I did pick St. Louis to win, did I pick St. Louis to win? I picked St. Louis to win last year. Okay, I'm trying to remember now if I did. Because we had yeah, I think
1: you were you were I think a little bit more confident than I was.
0: <laughs> well, I just I just didn't want. I mean, it was the the only thing about last year's series that was so great, I'm like these both these teams are physical. There is a chance, and I'm like if they lose, I'm like because I I can't live with, if Boston wins a cup after beating the Leafs the way they did again in the playoffs. I'm like, I I couldn't live with myself. It'd be awful. So, thankfully, we heard Gloria. (coughs) We didn't hear Gloria at TD Garden, but we heard Gloria everywhere. Thank goodness. And hopefully, one guy hears Gloria some more, and that is Alex Petrangelo, the captain of the Blues. And we talked about some of the signings that the Blues had done a few weeks ago, signing Mackenzie McEachern, giving Sammy Blaze an extension, you know, they're I mean pretty much depth talent and that's important for a team like the St. Louis Blues and that's just how the salary cap game is nowadays. You need to have cheaper players play big roles. Yeah. But Alex Petrangelo is not going to be a cheap player. You know, $6.5 million. I looked, you know, you go on capfriendly.com and you look at the comparable contracts and you almost laugh cuz listen, I love I know you guys all I mean Justin Falk had potential. And, he is a, and he's still a good defenseman, but, you know, he's making 5.8, you know, or 4.833 3 right now. I think he got the extension with the Blues as well. At, he's not Alex Petrangelo. And no. that's the thing. It's like, all right, now Petrangelo can just look on his own roster and say, well, you're paying him that. Why can't I get paid this? Because he's making seven and a half at least. And I know he's a little bit older than he was when he first signed this long contract, but he's shown why he can be a, higher end paid defenseman. The only I think the only problem is the reason why he may not get the same recognition is because he does play in the West and there is that Eastern there is that Eastern bias. And not many fans get to see Alex Petrangelo as much as they would see a John Carlson or a Jacob Truba. So it's almost like you're gonna see him and you're hoping that he takes a hometown discount.
1: Wouldn't that be the case? I I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Um <laughs> Doug Armstrong is really good at working whatever voodoo magic he has on salary cap situations and contract signings. But this go round, I mean, I don't know if he was hopeful on the salary cap going up significantly next year. And that was kind of he was he was a little like, well, we could probably work with this when he when he did the signings. Um, last month, as three guys or, or what? But, I mean, after looking at like like yosi's contract was huge. Um, I mean, I, I honestly, I think Petrangelo's gonna want at least nine million a season. I just, I just, especially with the Stanley Cup behind them and being the captain and. Um, the season he had last year, the season he's been having so far this year. And unless Armstrong moves some contracts around, I don't don't know how that's going to work.
0: And of course there, Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, it's just, I just, I just don't know how he can do it and maintain, you know, who we have now.
0: Right. And that's, and it's funny because as soon as these, you know, the Blues start signing these little lower players stuff like that, some people in Leafs Nation said, "Yes, Patrick Angelo is going to replace Tyson Berry up here in the with the Leafs," and we're all like, "Oh my goodness gracious me!" But <laughs> yeah. there is this looming cloud that how like the the NHL is losing money this year. Even if they do come back and play the finals, blah blah blah, TV deals, whatever, they're going to lose some money, and there will be a rollback on the salary. Part near comparable to what it was in the O four O five lockout, and I remember yeah. someone was saying the idea. I think I don't know if it was Brian Burke on on Hockey Central one day said it could be. You know, if they don't play at all, the con, you know, the salary, the salary cap may get almost cut in half. And I'm like, I don't know if he can do that. But yeah, like,
1: are you going to cut everybody's pay? And I was about to say, I mean, Like,
0: I mean, as a Leafs fan, we have Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. They're all making over ten million dollars. I'd, and if you make the salary cap 50 mil, we don't have a minor league team. <laughs> that's that, That's yeah. just it. And I I don't know what the plan is. Obviously there's, it's still be foreseen. I mean, you know, the NHL is still hard headed out. They want to continue and try to get the playoffs in and you know what power to them. If they, I don't know if they think it's best or whatnot. I I'm trying to just find a way to, in my eyes, get ready for next season more or anything, because if this salary cap does roll back, what is it going to do to all these players' contracts? Are they going to have to just terminate them and try it again, or, or what? Yeah. Because at that point, you're going to be looking at the percentage of contracts to actually give them, I guess, a fair price per, you know, what they make now. I mean, say, you know, because Mitch Meyer makes 10.893. So give or take, that's about one-tenth, or an eighth, excuse me, one-eighth of the, of the salary cap. So you knock it down to 60 and then do the one-eighth and do all the math from there. And it's, I mean, it sounds like a pain in the butt, but that may be the case we're looking looking at. And that's why this deal with Alex Petrangelo is so big because at this point, nobody knows how much you can legitimately pay him. We know what he's worth, but we don't know what value he actually will be at come next season. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's just so much, so many question marks surrounding you know, I mean, heck, if we even finish this year, which the longer it drags on, the less likely I think it is, um, let alone, you know, how we're going to manage next year or when, you know, teams are allowed to make trades or what is this free agency still July 1st? You know, I mean, like, we just, we don't know. And I mean, and I don't fault the league for any of this because we're in a pandemic, (laughs) you know, it's Everybody's playing by ear, but I do think though, like if they do kind of propose to the union, like, "Hey, we're gonna, because of a drop in revenue, we're gonna have to cut people's salaries until our revenue stream can return." I mean, that's gonna that's gonna cause a huge problem with the players' union.
0: And I get that, but I think they have to. uh, This is where I almost say, "Like, listen, you guys, you guys make millions of dollars as it is. You guys can take a year off or something." It's like it's tough because I you would think that as much money as they want and as much money as they believe they deserve they deserve you know i there's got to be a point where you guys realize they got to kind of meet in the middle and say hey guys you know none of us wanted this and i yeah. think they understand that you know and yeah. don't get me wrong there's still endorsement deals and all that stuff you can talk about you know until kingdom come but there's i i think that you know, i if I know the players union in the league have never, re- they have a very awful history of getting along, but it's, it's at the point where you say, all right, guys, maybe we, you know, don't like say, oh, we're going to play for a hundred thousand dollars. Don't do that. But yeah, you know, find yourself, you know, all right, well, I'll make 3 million this year. And, you know, you may have to lower this, you know, the minimum, you know, back down to 600 or 650 or whatnot. But You know, you're going to see maybe a little bit tighter contracts next year, and that's just going to have to be the case. You're going to see guys like Connor McDavid have to drop his, you know, his money if you know it drops. If now, granted, if the you know best case scenario, the league is able to get by by keeping it at eighty one and a half. That's the best scenario right now we have, or maybe even seventy five.
1: I mean, that wouldn't surprise, especially if they, for whatever reason, have to completely, you know, call it. I mean, I know at the at the very least they want to get. Playoffs, and even without fans, playoff hockey will still make you killing because of all the broadcast rights and stuff. But, I mean, that's still not enough. Because they're missing out on all the actual revenue stream of having people in their buildings. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I hate saying this because I don't want anybody to lose any income. You know, I mean, it, I, I don't wish that on anyone. But there's, there's a lot of it, – it, it would look extremely, I guess, bad is the word – um, if, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, there are so many people who are taking furloughs, losing hours, losing jobs, and then you have an athlete getting paid $10 million a year going, but I want my full contract.
0: Right. <laughs> you know? Who was it um, on Twitter the other day? Harrison Watt, the Ferris State play-by-play broadcaster, who I'm pretty close with. He responded to a tweet by, I think it was Phil Hughes. And Phil, I forget who Phil Hughes pitches for. He's a baseball player and whatnot. Plays in the majors, I take it. I mean, he sounds like a baseball name. Yet, he went out and said, you know, the safety, you know, it's it's going to be tough for us to come back, you know, because we got to make sure we have the proper safety regulations and fair compensation. And Harrison tweeted back, this is me paraphrasing, but he said, I'm like, listen, nobody wants to hear about your fair compensation. This is from everyone that's making less than six figures a year.
1: Yeah, I mean... There are a lot of people right now. I can think of a lot of folks, doctors and nurses, and med med techs, and all sorts of people right now who are working in hospitals who would also love better working conditions and better pay and not to have to worry about everything they're worrying about right now. Like I think I think that's kind of the universal reaction to the world, <laughs> you know. And it's I I get their concerns. It's their job. I get it, but. I mean, just like with everybody else, everybody's going to have to, I mean, and that's just the nature of this particular beast is everybody's going to have to take one for the team. And it's going to be, you know, for some people, taking one is going to be a lot more expensive, I guess.
0: Yeah, and a lot bigger of a cut.
1: I mean, if the money's not there, the money's not there. They can't print it for you. No. and They, it's... they, they can't.
0: It's it's so it's such a I don't want to say it's a touchy subject but it's it's inevitable at this point it's we're all kind of waiting to see what happens yes I know the NHL is trying to say hey we're focused on finishing this season and I know they're trying to it's the hopes to try to have some regularity for next season but yeah what are you gonna do if it doesn't happen I mean you're gonna spend your all the time saying all right we're gonna we're gonna finish the playoffs and it's all of a sudden you turn to August and it's like may as well cancel and just start over you know yeah, I mean, I
1: mean, what, what are you going to do about next like you can only drag this out so long before not only have we lost one season like the end of one season and playoffs in one season but then you're losing the first quarter or a third of another season like how much economically speaking do you want to shoot yourself in the foot
0: Right. I think the league would be better off. I mean, yes, I know the playoff revenue is such a huge thing, and I keep hearing that, but is it worth it enough to have you know a 70-some-odd game schedule for this season and then cut it and then not cut it and try to play the playoffs and make some money without fans, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to start playing in December and play a 50-game schedule. That's not going to make nearly as much money. You have a better chance of just turning it around and saying, let's just try to do next season and try to find a way to get some people in the door, do it properly, you know, have capacity in the, in the arenas. It's, I mean, that's better things to look at now. I, and I know Gary Bettman well enough, not personally, of course, because if that were the case, he probably would never let me talk to him, but I know him well enough that he's probably has a group of people saying, all right, if Armageddon comes, what are we going to do? He's working on that right now. He's not a dumb person. He makes dumb decisions, no. but he's not stupid. He's he's a lawyer. He prepare. He gets everything yeah. ready from all angles and tries to move forward.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and and he he is. I ha, I have lots of feelings about, about Gary Bettman, but I, I do have to admit that I really enjoy his his press conferences or like the the media interviews before you know Stanley Cup finals and All Star games and stuff he's fascinating to listen to and, and how he answers and does not answer a question at the same time is incredible. He is a very smart man. Um, and I don't think that he does anything. I don't think he makes knee jerk decisions, which in a situation like this is good because knee jerk decisions can get you into like, you know, a world of hurt right now. Um, I, I just I wonder though, and, and it's not even just the NHL; it's all the sports leagues and uh, a ton of businesses and industry, you know, nationally. If people aren't focused too much on the short term and not enough on okay, what are the lasting, long term ramifications of of what we're doing? Right. And sometimes I think that the longer you do things that that stretch. Out a poor situation whether it's a pandemic or having to cancel a season because of a pandemic um, the worse the worse the long term economic effects are going to be and, and that's kind of what I'm wondering with this is if they're not being you know, too short sighted and they're worried about this year's budget next maybe a little bit next year's budget but what about down the road like what happens
0: and I think I think they saw that after the year long lockout and how long it took the NHL to get to become profitable again, on how much yeah. money they lost and whatnot. And I think they're trying to avoid that, obviously. Now, granted, yes, that was a lockout, that was you know labor dispute, all that stuff. So that was obviously it's much different scenario than we are right now. And you know, it's everyone's budgets are going to be looking different next year. I remember I had a talk with yeah. my boss over here at Davenport. We're an NCAA school. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> We're a, like we're all just saying like if we don't get jobs and i've i've honestly tried to reach out cuz i cover college hockey for the hockey writers and i and i yeah. try to reach out to you know schools communications department, and sids and i get automatic replies saying i'm sorry i can't help you i'm furloughed and i'm like oh good lord you know this yeah i
1: mean nobody knows what's i mean like my school district's waiting on whatever the budget's going to be next year. Like we were fine. We were rolling in it because of the economic recovery from the past like decade. But now all of a sudden it's like the, the rug has been jerked out yeah, we from heard. us and from all these other industries. And I think that fans, fans understand like there's, there's stuff that's outside of the league's control. Like, you know, the, the, like you said, this isn't like the last lockout. Cause that was just a PR nightmare. Or the really bad lockout from about uh, like fifteen years ago. Right, that one. I mean, that was just a horrible PR nightmare. This, I mean, it's not. It's not like you can blame the league or blame the players' association. I mean, you're going to have to blame a virus. Blame the virus. Blame bacteria. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I, see, now, now Batman can at least just like deflect to the virus instead of deflecting to other things.
0: Yeah. You can't, He can't give the old, well, you know, it was like, you can't point at Batman. Yeah. for once, for once people are not mad at Batman at least regarding this. No. Yeah.
1: For just for right now, but give him time, I'm sure they'll find something to be mad at him about. Cause it's Gary. That's just what he does.
0: It, yeah. That's, I mean, there are times Gary says something smart and then there's times you just like, you have a punchable looking face.
1: He, he does. God love
0: him. That's why I never. That's why I know for a fact I never listened to the show because I'm pretty sure one of the first few episodes. I'm pretty sure I just did like an hour long schmuel on him. But he <laughs> he is our commission. We kind of have to you know stick behind him on this one because this is something that I'm sure none of us would. I, none of us you know are would feel we we would all suck in his position right now.
1: Oh yeah, no he he gets paid the the big bucks on this one for a reason because yeah. uh, I I. So, I, honestly, I, I have
0: no idea what what to do. So, Well, let's hope they figure out what to do here. And, obviously, hopefully next time we talk, Laura, there is some hockey going on, whether it be in July, I guess, or December, whenever it may be. Hopefully soon, folks, make sure you all follow Laura on Twitter. It's at Hildy Mac. Follow her on there. Find her on St. Louis Game Time. Hildy Mac is her username, and that's where she writes all of her awesome st louis blues content thank you once again laura we hope to talk to you again sometime soon hopefully if i guess for you with Angelo on your roster and hopefully with some hockey because news instead of us creating news and looking at instagram is much more fun than extra it's not as fun as watching the actual game
1: absolutely agree all right laura we'll talk to you later take care
0: And once again, that was Laura Astori and Laura of SB Nation. Good to have her on again. Always a good chat too with her, Laura. Very exuberant, always excited to talk about the Blues, and I'm sure she's so happy that the Blues are good again. I mean, they've they've been good, but like a contender, you know. I mean, that's realistically, as I kind of said, this is kind of the first time in this generation's lifetime that the Blues have been a contender. I mean, they've had good teams in the Brett Halls and the Al McGinnis teams and Grant Fuhrers, but they always ran into, you know, either Detroit, they ran into Dallas in those 90s. You know, they, they put together good teams in the early 2000s. I remember the '01 one Western Conference Final. They played a Colorado Avalanche. They had no chance. <laughs> they, they, were be, they were playing the President's Trophy winners, and they didn't have much going for them, that's for sure, and against those abs. But it's good to see the Blues go again. On to interview number two. We have a couple of other girls that are real big hockey fans and are so in depth with their team that it's very informative and very entertaining as well. Talking some Red Wings prospects coming up here with Rachel and Janae Anderson here on the QL Podcast. Now coming on to the QL podcast, our second of three guests here on today's show are two sisters who love hockey, especially the Red Wings, the Grand Rapids Griffins, Toledo Walleye, and the Muskegon Lumberjacks, even of the USHL. They have their own YouTube channel, website, and have time to work for the hockey writers and have jobs, yet no partridge in a pear tree. They (laughs) They are the dynamic duo that is Access Hockey Michigan, Rachel and Janae Anderson. Welcome to the keel oh. podcast <laughs> thanks for having us on
1: yeah, appreciate it so much.
0: it is definitely a pleasure and so i will say this we so we all work together at the hockey writers well together ish and yeah. i ned I, I actually worked with janae pretty early on because i remember i was starting to write for laval rocket rocket de laval however you want to say it uh-huh. and dean comes up to me and says dean one of our editors says you should reach out to janae for ahl pictures And I'm like, okay, because I'm just thinking, you know, we're across the country, you know, somewhere somehow it'll be. And I asked him, like, hey, Janae, do you have any pictures of Laval? And he said, well, no, they never play the Griffins. And I'm like, yeah, wait, you live in Grand Rapids, (laughs) (laughs) which? And I was like, it's a small world after all. So, so I gotta ask, you know, how how do you two? Because I actually found you guys because I was looking up like old lumberjacks videos, and I found. One of your guys' interviews with one of the players, and
3: what we're sorry for the early efforts.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know it's something though. I mean, you get out there and you're you're trying to do something, and I mean, Mm -hmm. we were no more than we're like one of one million NHL podcasts out there, right? So exactly, what gets two sisters from West Michigan interested in not just doing a YouTube channel, but also writing, photography, getting out there? What made you two inspired to create Access Hockey?
3: The cliche answer would probably be the game. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> really, game, I love much, it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what really boils down to. We grew up watching hockey. Um, we never had the privilege of playing hockey um, when we were younger, but um, just growing up watching it, watching our brothers play, watching the Wings, and then going to Griffins games as kids, and it just kind of spawned from there. Um, the the pinpoint of it starting was probably after the sixteen seventeen Calder Cup Championship with the Griffs. That really kicked it off, and then i guess you could say the rest is history we just kind of took it and hit the ground running from there and got in over our heads
4: with everything and well, had it looked back. <laughs> well rachel she would be in the stands and she used to for when we won the Calder cup in 2017 she would write stories as a fan about that experience and about the games just because even when we're even from fan level you still can watch well, play yeah and, you know see that develop and get the love of the game and I remember her. she'd just be like, yeah, I'm going to start a website. And I was like, well, yeah, you can do that. And then I'm just going to not because (laughs) I at first didn't want it to become or want it to feel like a job, you know. So I kind of stayed back for a little bit. And then I was like, well, you're the writer, so you can't have like two people writing. That's awkward. Yeah. So then (laughs) I kind of just found my niche doing the photos just because we started with the lumberjacks, too, and they Mm -hmm. let us write in. That was yeah. Probably the biggest deal for us is yeah. when we got credentialed just they to were the watch USHL hockey. Yeah. We were just over the
2: moon.
3: Yeah. The whole, I think I remember when we came up with, um, or when we came across the Lumberjacks, we were actually just Googling in the area, different teams and um, just kind of reaching out. And we had met one connection through them that would just kind of, it segued into getting credentials and meeting the staff over there. And they were the ones really to get our start, but the whole concept really came from you know obviously we love the game but we wanted to understand more about how these players get to the point that they're at you know they're winning championships but it didn't just start there so where did they come from and that just kind of backtracked to the ushl and and where Mm -hmm. we're at now which is all over the place yeah (laughs) just kind of where there's hockey to be had we'll go have it but it's it's really it boils down to a love of the game and just being able to work together, doing something we both love, it makes it not a job. It's yes.
4: Yeah, so it's so easy just to do it. Like yeah. we'll we'll work our normal forty-hour weeks and then spend like twenty-five hours at the twenty-five weekend. hours of the week on the and re- the weekends are yep. like on Wednesdays when they have games and it doesn't even feel like mm-hmm. we're there that long. And, and miss it when we leave. Yeah, and then we're like, okay, when's the next game?
0: <laughs> Jeez, sounds like me with my broadcasting. Every time I finish up a broadcast, I just sit there. I'm like, I gotta. Wait till the next one or something like that. But <laughs> now so, what? So so how far are you two in age? I, I forgot to ask that before. How far are you to?
4: We are four years apart. Yeah. I
0: am I'm older by four years. Jeez, it's almost like my brother and I. My brother who's usually on the show with us, he's he's just recovering from exams, online exams. So he's <laughs>
2: <Recovering>. <laughs> yeah.
0: So but him and I are three and a half years apart. So almost kind of the same
2: yeah. um, age it's, gap. It's really there.
3: not that big of an age gap though, too. I mean, once you had, especially if you've got something you both enjoy doing and we live together, we've worked together, shoot, we worked together yeah. for six years before this. So it's, yeah. it's really, it, it was an easy, easy transition. Yeah.
4: It helps yeah. that we get along really
3: well. So. Mm-hmm. And, and you like- share, you share rides. So it saves gas money. Oh yeah, oh, yeah.
0: I'm <laughs> sure it's always good. And it's <laughs> funny cause you guys started with the lumberjacks cause I'm going to have Tate Harris on the show here later today and he's an OHL podcaster. So OHL probably it's a little bit, I, I I hate to say better hockey, but it's, it is major juniors <laughs> it but,
2: is. It's, and, it's it but,
0: is. and I've been, a, and I've followed the lumberjack. I remember when they were in and fury back in the nineties, like that's yeah, how, yeah. that's how long, you know, I've been. And so when they first had a junior team, I actually tried out for them. That's how, oh. and this was not okay. a few years ago. I am an old <laughs> fart now. So like, it was, I think their second year, I think I tried out for them because I knew their, I knew their goalie coach because their goalie coach at the time, former Griffin's goaltender, Mike Fountain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I first met him, I first of all, cause I'd seen him when I was a kid. So I was over the moon because I was like, I know who you are and you <laughs> like me. So anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, it was approval, but you now, watching USHL hockey, it's so interesting. Cause my brother and I went to a few games last year and it's weird now for us because we're still fans. We love watching the game, but we would like to go there and, you know, heckle players or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's awkward. you gotta razz
3: them a little. Well,
0: like, because we go to Griffin's games, we'll go to the Friday nights or whatever. We'll sit, um, you know, right behind the road team's goal and just yell the entire time.
3: Oh, yeah. do- oh, you're part of the, the You Suck chant group? <laughs> no, well,
0: okay, it depends who they're playing. So, I, <laughs> yeah. so quick side yeah. story. I got an interview. Well, I interviewed Todd Crocker, who's the Marley's play-by-play guy. Uh-huh. and talked about him with the Marlies, whatever, because I'm a Leafs fan. Even though I'm from okay. here in West Michigan, I'm a diehard Leafs fan. And It's it cool. okay.
2: We
3: all have shortcomings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, the night, so the Friday, I didn't go to the Friday night game because so I'd worked that night. I worked a game that night, and then the next night I was free, so I went and go watch the Marlies beat the Griffins. So, hey. I was just going to
4: say, you happen to go to the one they beat them. Yes. <laughs>
0: hey, I told him. I told Todd when I was your man, I'm going to be sitting right behind us here, right, up in, you know, right in 101. You'll be up there in the booth. They're going to win tonight. And I was right for once. But, <laughs> but going back to the Lumberjacks, it's hard to go to those games now because I'm like 10 years older than all these kids. I just, oh, I, don't I know. it. It's,
3: it's, it's a bizarre feeling when we were doing those player interviews, just kind of realizing that those kids were the age of our youngest sister and still in high school. And many of them, a couple of them couldn't even speak English. So yeah. right. it's, it definitely dates you. When you go to USHL games. yeah.
4: <laughs> so, What I love about it though, is that's kind of, that's what we wanted though. Yeah. Like what Rachel said, we wanted to see where they started and that's about as far back as we can go. If we could yeah. go to Sweden, if we could go to Germany and see oh. the prospects that we're getting now, that'd be fantastic. Like, in their yeah. development from there, that would be amazing. But you know, we kind of work with what we've got just because we can't, we travel a lot as it is. Mm-hmm. We can't. Commit to somewhere out of state to, <laughs> yeah. to do that. I'd love to make it to like the Saginaw Spirit game. Yep. So those feel great. That would be awesome. That'd that be a lot of- it's a
0: very nice barn. Dow, I think it's still called the Dow Event Center. Very nice. I went there. Oh gosh, how old was I? I think I was eleven or twelve. I went there because we had Silver Sticks in Midland, and that mm-hmm. when during I think that Saturday night the Spirit were playing the London Knights. I'm a mm. London. I'm a London Knights fan because my great oh. uncle, not blood related, is from St. Thomas, just outside London. So. The Knights for my it's team, so, so I was the one of seven London Knights fans there that day. Uh, but hey, <laughs>
3: dangerous See, man, you tried some dangerous territory. Oh. London Knights, Maple okay. Leafs, and what if, next? <laughs> if
0: you have a quick second for a story, so it's it's a it's a it's a Griffin story. Okay, I'll um, allow it. Marley's and Griffs are playing New Year's Eve, twenty twelve, and it was the, that was the same year they actually won the Calder Cup. The Griffins did the first one. Mm-hmm. And it was right, it was the night after the Marlies beat the Griffins in a shootout. If okay. I'm not mistaken, it was the Comerica Park game. Did the, yeah, the Marlies beat the Griffins outdoors. And we, sit, we used to be able to sneak so well, my brother and I would get into the lower bowl, even on a Friday night or Saturday night. Now we just get the tickets down there because we don't want to have the hassle. But we were high school. Right, well, because
3: you're grownups now. Yeah,
0: we're, we're adults. We have to be respectable and stuff. <laughs> back, then, back then, we were kids and everyone thought we were just all rascals. We were able to get about five rows behind the Marley's bench because we used to like sit behind the benches so the players we knew they could hear us. But yeah. those those tickets are too expensive. That's why we sit behind the net. hmm So we go to the game, Marlies are kicking them up and down the ice. It's awesome. We're in our leaf skier, we're hooping and hollering. For nothing, the net's empty, the game's over. I'm just like, we're we jump up and scream. So we're like eighteen years old, by the way. We're not, you know, we're young kids. Literally this guy throws a beer at us and <laughs> Bounces off my chest, it goes on to Alex. I catch the cup, and for some reason, without thinking, I grab it and I just chug the rest of it like the half of it. I'm not, I was not a beer drinker at this point, and I remember I'm like, I looked around for a second, I thought it was cool, and everyone's like laughing at the guy that threw the beer at me. But now I'm looking around, I'm like looking for security, and I'm like, thank goodness he didn't find us because, like, like, even though we were the only Leafs fans in this section
3: but it had to have been you. Everyone oh yeah. knows it. I was about to say, but I'm
0: pretty sure they're like, ah, he got beer thrown at him. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. Cause, like, <laughs> Cause it wasn't, it wasn't like I looked old enough. Shoot. I looked like a baby. I don't, that's, I still shave, but it's, I look like I'm still in high school, but I was like, <laughs>
3: not old enough for a beer. That's for
0: sure. No, <laughs> absolutely not. My brother's like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I don't know. I saw it on a video once. Looks cool. Whatever, so hey, what? but I
2: love
0: it's, it's funny cuz I like going to games. I do cheer for the Griffins and it's fun. But whenever like, you know, like I have a Manitoba Moose shirt. Moose come to town, I'm cheering for the Moose. I love cheering for the road team. I like getting
4: just tough. I I can't swallow it. It's hard. <laughs> well, it's hard I mean, to
0: hear. And it's funny cuz like I remember back in my when I was a kid, when the Moose would, you know, when the Moose came to town back in the IHL yeah. days, I couldn't stand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, now, granted, I still can't stand the Chicago Wolves in Milwaukee. Oh, oh so That'll yeah, never, that never will happen.
1: Never. But,
0: never. but I like, I love going, I love getting, even when I played, I loved getting booed. I, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> cheering fire. Everyone cheering for you, it's great. <laughs> oh, you're great. You're doing a great job. But you get yelled at like.
4: Wait, what, what position did you play?
0: I was a goaltender.
4: That wow, makes that would be fun. Yes, so
0: always have a few screws <laughs> loose. <laughs> we we played Okemis because I played for Northview right over here in high school. We played Okemis oh, okay. my first game senior year. I feel like this is turned to my story time. I got to reflect. this. <laughs> after this one, I'll I'll turn it back to you guys. I do. So we're playing Okemis opening night in Okemis, and it's a you know I'm thinking oh nobody's gonna be there. It's in East Lansing suburban ice. Nobody's gonna be there. We come out for warm ups, and there's like 300 students behind my goal just <laughs> giving it to us. And I got so. Ju- and I was like, and we went back after warm ups, we went back in the locker room. I said, We're not going to lose this game. I love it. I love getting booed. I don't know. It just gets me hyped
3: up. You goalies, there's something wrong with goalies. You
4: have to love getting booed if you want to be a goalie. Because yeah. like everybody, if they don't know what to do, if they're not a hockey fan and they're at a game, they're going to the just goalie. boo the goalie. Like, yeah. That's going to be the one. Given, were you dropped as a child? Uh, <laughs> just
3: kidding. Well, just kidding. No. well I probably it took well, a lot of pucks to the head. Maybe. Hey, I
0: I was really good at falling down, so maybe it just happened since birth. I mean, I'm good at falling down, <laughs> making saves. Hey, as long as it, as long as it looks good, is what I say.
3: Right. But, <laughs> as long as you stop the puck, who cares? Right.
0: Yes, and going back to I guess you know you girls because following the wings. One thing that has been the issue this season for the Wings, maybe the last couple of years, is the guys trying to stop the puck. And, right. yeah. and you know, Jimmy Howard, and I think mm. I talked about this on my show a few weeks ago. Do you remember when Jimmy Howard, this may have been around, I think it was 2014 Olympics, that Jimmy Howard and Corey Schneider were battling for the third string job for the U.S. Olympic team
2: many mm. years ago. Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> and both goaltenders since then have each had a calendar year where they didn't win a game. Yeah. It's yeah. sad. I mean, it, it's sad, but cause we yeah, all know is. how I remember when Jimmy Howard was with the Griffins, when Howard yeah. was this yep. big prospect mm-hmm. and now seeing him now and it's, it's age, it's injuries Infirmity. building up. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah.
3: There's a lot of things not working in his favor. And that's, that's the, one of the things I think we've seen the writing on the wall. And I think a lot of wings fans have been kind of waiting for it, but, you know, it's not a long career. I was going to say a good long career, but the last couple of seasons have not been good. But I mean, that's it's a whole team. Yeah, I that mean, that's not no, entirely so him. But there's hard definitely hard. those times where you're like, dude, you know, maybe maybe you should just hang up the skates now. You know, retire, heal, because <laughs> he seems to be just completely lambasted by injuries all the time. So it's it's definitely an issue that we all are very very aware of.
4: Yeah, but super exciting for the, the prospects. I feel like we've had a good couplet of griffin's goalies lately and last couple seasons now that we've got so pat nagel from the toledo walleye played for quite a bit last season just because of injury last season was so hard for, or this past season, yeah. was so hard for Griffin's goaltending to get into a rhythm because of all the injuries from Detroit mm-hmm. on down.
3: Prospects not working out, having
4: to get transferred. Yeah, is- so like Philip no, Larson, he was supposed to be a big deal. We haven't seen a ton of him. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been super impressive. Caden Fulter hasn't yep. been super impressive. He's had injury. Yep. Pat Nagel kind of stepped up to be um, a salve in our wounds mm-hmm. for the Griffin, yeah. along with Calvin Pickard, who's doing yeah. a phenomenal job or who did a phenomenal job. And I just think that. There's a lot to be excited for. Yeah. In the
3: pool. Well, especially with Victor Bratstrom too. Yeah. So now that we've got Victor Bratstrom and, and Janae and I talk about this literally nonstop, um, <laughs> just roster moves and what the prospects are going to do and everything. We've been waiting for Brastrom. He was an 18 pick and he's been developing. He's, yeah. he's been doing great in Sweden. And so finally getting him pulled over, you know, we're kind of scratching our heads. Like, where is he going to land? Is he going to be with Grand Rapids right now on paper? He's in Grand Rapids, but You know what's Detroit going to do with him and Bernier and Howie? Is just
4: did a video. We did just do a video. It's
3: going to launch today, but with (laughs) this pump, perfect. with, (laughs) With these goaltenders, there's a lot of good prospects in the system. So if if this was Jimmy Howard's last season there's going to be a ton of shifting, but in really, really good ways. There's yeah. a lot of them that are getting ready and you're going to see probably a three or four of them battling it out. I'd say probably next season or the season after. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. I think. Show, yeah. And
0: that's definitely good. And, and Janine, I'd like to get hear more on Philip Larson. Cause I, cause Calvin Pickard, he did come through the Leafs and I remember back and this is, you are a little how, bitter
3: about Pickard still. Yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> explain why? I'm curious.
3: <laughs> well, I was talking to a, a, another another podcaster um, who was he's he's bitter in the sense that Pickard did really well last season. He was not happy with how he did with Toronto.
1: <laughs> he was
3: not overwhelmed with his consistency there. So he's a little he was a little bitter on how it played out this last season.
0: Well. He was good with the Marlies. Him and Garrett Sparks a couple years ago just put Sparks, together yeah, this dynamic good. duo. Yeah. And I'm like, and then we let Pickard go on waivers because he was on a one-way. And mm-hmm. then Curtis McElane. I left the Sparks. And I can tell you right now, Garrett Sparks is a phenomenal AHL goaltender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not an NHL goaltender. Yeah. Yep. And unfortunately, that's just sometimes the nature of the beast. I can tell you how good Mark Lamott was in 0405 with the Griffins could never put it together in the NHL
2: <laughs> Joey McDonald
0: yeah. great yep. NHL goaltender and, yeah. I, yeah. and yep. so and that's and I don't know if Calvin Picker could ever get back to that point point. and I think you know he was brought over by Steve Eiserman to say hey we got this Philip Larson kid let's get him in here let's mm-hmm. let's yeah. show him the ropes and he fell flat I don't know if it just wasn't working out with the team around him yeah or if it, it
4: seemed it seemed to us kind of a lack of honestly, a lack of work ethic when it came to game time on Larson's side, Yeah, on right. Larson's mm-hmm. side, just because it seemed like when he was in, he was nonchalant about being in, it didn't seem to be, there's no urgency. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of urgency in how he played and it showed in how, you know, I don't know. I think that led to a lack of confidence in him because mm-hmm. if your goalie can't, if you don't have confidence in your goalie, it's, it's really hard to trust that he's going to stop a puck, you can get yep. his way. It's just, it did seem like he fell flat, you know, he ended up in Toledo for a while too,
1: mm-hmm. um,
4: just to give Nagel and uh, Pickard the starts mm-hmm. in GR. And we were surprised because we were excited for mm-hmm. Larson to be like this stud coming up, you know, to be the prospect yeah. that like you said, would learn from Pickard.
3: Cause we had seen him with, uh, with Tri-City in the USHL. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. at DU going through there he and he did phenomenal at DU. So I think the, uh, just from from people we've talked to and observation, Janae's right, it doesn't seem like there was much urgency and the, the ethic wasn't there. And I think that's something that you have to have that. You can't, I mean, as a prospect, you can't have a bad development season, um, especially with it getting as jammed as it is. You have to have the urgency all the time. And if you don't play like that, then you are going to get sent now down to the There's other ACHL. guys who
4: are going to. You yeah. know? So it, as a prospect, it's so important to not fall flat. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes... Sometimes, sometimes injury happens. gets you. Sometimes yeah. you have a bad season and the Red Wings are nothing if not gracious with bad seasons. <laughs> <laughs> At <laughs> least as of late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're very um, understanding. Yeah. So, uh, I do think he has promised, but he would really have to get that. Yeah, raft. This
3: next season is going to be paramount for him, especially because yeah. Keith Petrizelli is he's finishing up at Quinnipiac this next season. Yep. And so he's making his way through Caden mm-hmm. Fulcher will probably remain ECHL, mm-hmm. but you've, I mean, you've got a bunch of guys that are going to be battling for that spot. And if he doesn't, you know, pick up the game a little bit, then
4: if he doesn't impress, he'll probably yeah. be looked, yep. he'll probably be turned aside yeah. just because I don't think that. Iserman is going to hold on to dead weight yep. much longer. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that he's doing that as a GM. I think he's trying to let loose of some of that cut the ties. If, if it's just not going to work. Yeah. It's not working.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And Philip Larson, I mean, it almost sounds like he has the, what I, I like the, I don't want to say it because I I know so I know Marcus Kenny the trainer for the Griffins yeah. really I yeah I've the known him intact. for I've known him for mis- I've known him since high school. He was my trainer back in high school when he first moved over to Griffin. <laughs> our <Grand> condolences. <laughs> oh. Listen, this was, he I know, it's great too cuz I work with him at Davenport you know, cuz he works with our men's lacrosse team here. So I see him all the time. Yeah. And I remember I I asked him cuz he would bring in during the playoffs he'd bring in the black aces for the Griffins to train him while I was there. Mm-hmm. So I got to meet like Jordan Pierce and a couple other old gold, uh, goaltenders had come in. I asked him, you know, like, you know, who, who would you, I mean, who would you say is the work, the worst workout or has the worst work ethic of the Griffins and the team in general? He looked at me and said, Thomas McCollum. <laughs> and he, and I asked him, like, so does Philip Larson have this Thomas McC- McCollum syndrome almost where it's like, yeah, he's happy to be there. He's great. You know, he's in mm-hmm. the, in the pros and he just takes it for granted. I mean, you don't want that, but, it almost sounds like he has it. But then again, it's his first year though.
4: Yeah. 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 But it's just, it's so important your first mm-hmm. year. You just know? cause
3: you're drafted doesn't mean you're a shoe in. And that's um,
4: what you gotta realize. And I'm sure they do. And we're not yeah. trying to like, for well, them, of course, right. just cause I never liked I it. could <laughs> never be a goaltender. Yeah. Oh no. Definitely <laughs> not.
0: It's easy. Yeah. You play yeah. for a few we're years and you start two. a podcast. That's all it is. <laughs>
4: <laughs> like the stepping stone. But I think, I think if he if he gets that under wraps, I do think he could be good because in mm-hmm. Tri City in the USHL he was phenomenal. Yeah. He got drafted phenomenal. Yeah, it's just I don't know if if you hit your stride the minute or like if you plateau the minute you just start. I don't think that's a good sign.
3: Yeah, and they are. I mean, they're taking special attention and they're trying to get through to him. But in, inevitably, with these prospects, that development is entirely up to them. So if it's a mind game and they're struggling mentally, they got to find a way to work through that, because if you want to be a pro, you're going to have those days. You just suck it up and deal with it and you go out and do your job. So I think it's going to be, yeah, just, and that
4: goes forever. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah.
3: And he's, he's a fantastic kid. He's a good player, but you know, just it, it's, it was kind of painful to see it not translate the way that it was anticipated this, this last season. Mm-hmm.
0: And I will say kind of moving off a guy that who had a pretty disappointing first season to a guy who had a pretty <laughs> impressive first season, Marie cider. And I oh, yeah. I will I will tell you this. I remember I was watching the draft and I'm thinking to myself, all right, Eisman's gonna get a defenseman. Bowen Byram goes number four. Well, CV's not gonna get a defenseman still, right? Mo Sider. And I, <laughs> like everyone else inside that arena, had to pick their jaws up off the floor. Cause we're like that and even you saw Cider's face he's like wait what yeah yeah he, he was going to go get popcorn or something cuz he was going to be there for a while <laughs> but all of a sudden he's a top 10 pick and i'm just like okay Stevie i, I know you're trying to develop through the draft but really <laughs> cuz i mean it's and, you know it's it's a joke now cuz we can joke about it but it's like at that time we thought he was going crazy
4: it's I'm, really it's really interesting because Rachel and I were just excited. I don't I don't think I had any sort of like what? Just because it's, it's Steve. It's Steve. Like it's <laughs> gonna be also we didn't have a great season last year, so it's like, okay, so we're still trying to draft some prospects, mm-hmm. we're trying to get into bigger prospects. This. Yep. And it I mean, it only takes watching him this season to see what the scouts mm-hmm. who found him saw. Yeah. Like He's worth every bit of hype he's been getting, and I'm not one to say that usually. It's true. She never says that. But her, <laughs> Rachel and I are super. If someone is this huge deal, Rachel and I are like, well, we
3: instantly almost don't like them yeah, because like, we you, want them to.
4: Well, you prove can't it. be that good. Yeah. Basically, what we, we're like, okay, well, there's hype, but there's hype, and then there's there's cider. Like, yeah, he's, he's a fantastic
0: <laughs> Hype and cider. I'm telling you right now, you have yourself like a drink or something. That's a drink name. Hype and cider. <laughs>
3: That's awesome. It, it's right,
0: like I'm, I'm calling up founders, and if we're gonna have Mo, we're gonna make a moe cider drink, is what we're gonna that's do. That's
3: awesome. It's it's just mixed with hype and cider and a dash of Janae's
2: wit. Ooh, there you go.
3: <laughs> but no, it's it's true though. I mean, when we were watching the draft, I think we had more of a reaction when Master Simone was picked because we knew him from the USHL. Yeah. But cider, yeah. he was he was all but unknown to us. So especially considering he, it was a bigger draft. Iserman was drafting pretty large and that kind of getting cider first was setting the tone for that. We were just excited. He had a big defenseman because we have been lacking in defensive development and just to have a bigger body on the ice is always nice. That's younger, not one of the veterans. So we know that his path is going towards the NHL. And then just to see that translate was, was awesome. I've, I've actually never been that impressed by a first rounder rookie season ever.
4: Yeah. I mean, Valeno had a pretty good rookie season. He did. Yeah. Um, but we, like I said, when, when a guy has a lot of hype or a guy's expected to be the savior, we're a little guy, skeptical. I disagree with that anyway. One yeah. person's not going to save the team. No. But unless you're, unless you're Connor McDavid,
3: but that's just. That. <laughs>
4: Yeah, and
3: then Drysaddle. saddle. I forget about Now they're German. Yep. <laughs> those Germans got something there. They
4: do, and now they're looking in those leagues a little more. Yep. And Now there's, what, three drafts this coming, 2020? Yeah, I think
3: it's in the top 31. They've got, like, three guys from Mannheim. Yeah. But yep. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy how they've kind of put them on the map. But Drysaddle started it all, really. But with Cider, I, we kind of laughed when everyone was kind of up in arms about it because in our heads, it's like, well – If the scouts did their jobs, which that is not my job. My job is to write about what they did, not how to do it. Um, If they did their jobs and Iserman took what he knows about the game and the team and development and what he did with Tampa and takes that into account, then, you know, we really can't lose. We're literally starting at rock bottom. So he could have picked a brick for his first pick (laughs) and probably would have done better this season than we did last year. So he's. It, it's one of those things where it's like you, you got to trust your leadership. And like everyone says, trust the process. But I think with with Iserman, he has so much of that within the Red Wings organization. We just didn't even bat an eye. We're like, who's the cider kid? Great. I'm excited. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think the biggest thing with that was that there was talks that cider could have gone later in the first or maybe into the second. Yeah. round. I think that mm-hmm. was the biggest thing. Like draft him now. I'm like, I didn't. Yeah. See. But yeah. I mean, yeah. the biggest part with cider is that, yes, he's got size. He's got skill and he's a right handed mm-hmm. shot defenseman. Yeah. which is a hot commodity these days.
4: <laughs> well, and he, he's he's closer already to the NHL level than mm-hmm. some of the guys that we've even been developing, yeah. like Dennis Zalowski. And I feel like that's a huge drawing point too because he's not going to take as much time so yeah. we can start getting those guys into the Red Wings sooner. And mm-hmm. I think that that's also something that would be great too. He was too. a few steps ahead. Yeah, he, he started yeah, he started a little bit ahead and I think that that was just a smart play mm-hmm. by the management there.
0: Yep. And I'm curious to see because I like I said, I love the CHL, follow the CHL. One of my favorite teams in the Quebec league is Halifax. And you guys are getting a player in Jared McIsaac,
2: mm-hmm. who mm-hmm.
0: absolutely is was an offensive force.
2: Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm.
0: that said, sometimes the Quebec league numbers compared to the OHL and the WHL can get a little inflated because how good Anthony Manta was and then how long it took him to develop yeah. into a player.
1: Yeah. And
0: yep. I don't want to say we're experiencing it with Zadina, but we're, yeah, it's, we it's, it's still yeah. back and forth.
3: <laughs> and, you can't, you can't deny it.
0: And <laughs> Valeno, who is the only player to ever been granted exceptional status to go early to play as a 15 year old in the QMJHL. You know, he's another guy that had big numbers, but it's like, when will it turn over? So,
2: yeah.
0: but with McIsaac though, he's a defenseman. The Griffins Mm -hmm. haven't had that yet, really. They haven't had many great defensive prospects. I mean, uh, you know, give or take, you know, yeah, yeah, Phil Peronic getting the call-ups and such. And I'll be honest, Joe Hicketts, I have just, I've, (laughs) uh, okay, I, Hickets and I have a very tough relationship. So in 2016 World Juniors, because I cheer for Canada. I love I love Canada. I love going there. I lived there for a little bit. 2016 World Junior tournament. Joe Hicketts is on Team Canada. Mm-hmm. It's late in the quarterfinal game against Finland. Canada's starting this comeback and they're down a penalty. They're down on five on four and they have a chance to kill it off and they would come back and tie the game. Be a great story.
2: Mm-hmm. Hickets
0: puts the puck over the glass. <laughs> on a clear attempt, Finland scores yeah. on the ensuing power play. Canada yeah. loses. Yeah.
2: yeah. So ever yeah. since
0: then, every time Joe Hickett touches the puck, I'm screaming at him from the, from anywhere Dude, I'm that's
4: sitting. That's hilarious because, like, we we actually oh, we watch well, that game. Well, we will. I will say there are players who I completely get that sentiment yes. because they yeah. do one thing that's pivotal, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time they touch the puck, you're like. Oh please, don't make another one of those. For their
3: entire career, they've been—it's—it's it's just been marred by that one moment. Yeah. But I, I will say, in in Joey's defense, that was—he makes bad plays sometimes. <laughs> it, it happens to everybody. Everyone gets bad bounces. <laughs> right, your goal. You yeah. Know.
0: Oh yeah. But, <laughs> Some uh, but, more, more than I'd like to admit, but yeah.
3: Yeah right. <laughs> There's always goals you want back, right? Oh yeah. But with 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 Joey, I think he's. I think he's actually an exceptional defenseman, but as far as what the wings need for the future, he might not be fitting that role, which is hard for me to say, because I've been a big fan of his since the first time we watched him play. And I, I think just because they've got the Ciders coming in and Gustav Lindstrom has already made a pretty strong case of staying up there and Roenick, like you said, um, and Chalosky's give or take for me, but with, with Hickets, I mean, you've got these bigger guys and he i think the size has always been an issue for him he has the offensive mind and i think he's really strong in front of the net he could be a goalie's best friend if that goalie let him be his best friend but um i, I just don't know if that's the direction that they're going so the fact that cider came in so hot i think he's kind of pushing out those prospects well, have already reached them. yeah i mean those those prospects that have already reached the end of their entries and they were on extensions right now i think a lot of people are just looking past him now and they're they're looking at these younger guys and who they can get up top quicker and Cider, unfortunately, for the rest of them is that chosen
0: one. And I think there's going to be guys, I'm pretty sure Hickets is kind of seen because he plays with guys like McElrath and Lashaw. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. pretty sure he's kind of seems like, all right, I mean, you can make a living playing in the AHL. I mean, uh-huh. I've, I'm oh, yeah. pretty good friends with Chris Summers, who last year played in the DEL, but had played for Wilkes-Barre. He lives here in Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. played for Wilkes-Barre, uh, Wilkes-Barre, <laughs> Wilkes-Barre,
2: Hartford,
0: yeah. you know, played yeah. in the Arizona system for a while. I mean, yeah. You know, he does well for himself he lives yeah. he lives in those nice places behind naps corner i mean he's 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 doing fine
2: yeah.
0: i love making these graphic references cuz
4: everyone else is like
3: listening they're like what? <laughs> Naps Corner. I'll, I'll, I'll put it's it. It's
4: the East Grand Ratton It's a corner right where
3: now. everyone sleeps, and then there's houses a,
4: behind it. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Naps Corner.
0: There's nothing over there. There's a courthouse. Yeah. That's a, Yeah. There's, the,
3: there's no, the, I mean, the, the AHL is a nice living, too, and there's definitely no shame in that. It's well, a I fantastic league. I do. I league.
4: feel that he, his eyes are still peeled, NHL, yeah. at least for now. And, yeah. I, I mean, that's from just interviews recently, mm-hmm. you know, that the Griffins have done. I just, I don't think he's one to just...
3: He's not just going to
4: throw back. in the towel. That's not right. his play. as far right. his personality. So I do think he would have the potential of going somewhere where he was. Would have a better opportunity. Maybe given an opportunity yeah. to. But I do, as much as I didn't, as much as I don't like that his size is making a difference, I really do think it is. Yeah. And I mean, in the NHL, there are smaller defensemen, but. I'm not so sure. A lot of people are looking to acquire that. Right? Is know? that where Detroit's going? Right. And right. I don't think it is. I really don't. I, it's hard too because I I
3: love him as a player. Yeah. As as a, as a person, he's fantastic. So it's it's hard to say that. But you know, you always
4: well, you want all of them. I want all of them to succeed. Yeah. You know, yeah. As, as a team, you watch them seasons and seasons, and you just want them to be. Successful. And you know how
3: much they'd be a thorn in your side if they were on someone else's Yeah.
0: Team? <laughs> oh gosh, if Hicketts ever did go somewhere um, else, oh my gosh. <laughs> I would get even worse at him. I would even even yeah. like <laughs> Hicketts. Could, okay. Let's put it this way. Hicketts could go play for the Marlies or the Leafs. I'd still yell at him just because, <laughs> I mean, just because he's, I just, just uh, of that one play, that one play. It's all it takes for me, but no, <laughs> I, like, he's, no I get it.
4: No, 100%. I'm like that with goalies though. So. But, and that's Sorry. the thing about Hicketts. <laughs>
0: Hey, you know what? I uh, Goaltenders never forget. I can tell you, if listen, if this was a different time and this was just us talking, I could have about six hours worth of bad goals I could break down for you.
4: I, I watch it. I don't, don't want to know I, anymore. I could tell you how bad
0: it is. But um but that is the thing with Hicketts, is the size. And, and unfortunately, he's yeah. not like a Tory Krug.
2: Yeah.
0: And, you know, I and Tory Krug came in at the right time and he made the right impression right away. Yeah. Unfortunately, Hicketts didn't get that opportunity because yeah. Krug came
2: in.
3: The tr- the the way the team is going though too, I think when he was signed as an entry, they had a little bit more time to play with. I don't think things felt as urgent as they do now, where development was like, yeah, we have to rebuild. But I think now it's in the last two seasons or three seasons, it's been kind of escalated to more of a matter of urgency, and so players that were more of a, a long-term project are, you know, they 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 might be moving on because of that. It's just I think yeah. the goal, the entire goal of the the team and the the future of it, I think it's changed a lot and in the last couple seasons. It
4: might be that they weren't given the chance. It might not. Yeah, but it's just hard to know. Yeah, you know if they would have flourished had they been given yeah. more opportunity. Because there's part of me that thinks that sometimes the Red Wings don't give them enough chance. Yeah, they don't see the opportunity and like seize it and yeah. give them the chance in the mm-hmm. NHL. But it's hard, you know, what the games are allowed and they, yeah. the contractually it's difficult. So it's hard to know. Yeah, which like if they would have flourished had they been given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I guess.
0: And I guess wrapping up with Hickets, don't forget when he came onto the team, Nicholas Cronwell was still playing 25 minutes a night. So there, yeah. wasn't, there wasn't much room. And I think that was around the time when they got yeah. Mike Green as well. So they really yeah. didn't have room financially, mm-hmm. yeah, contract wise.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Those contracts killed us for a long, a long time. They're still kind of killing us right now. But.
0: Hey, Dotsuk's an Arizona coyote. You guys have nothing to worry about.
3: <laughs> uh, I that's gotta, just
0: mean hey you know hey chris ponger is a pretty good arizona coyote too he's <laughs> such a good coyote that he's able to also manage with the florida Panthers, so it's great <laughs> um,
2: the
3: jack of all trades
0: exactly let's look at the forwards for the uh, red wings and griffins prospects you know there's obviously you have your couple players that are definitely ahl there's your Giovanni smiths and you know i i, I don't want to say chris terry but he's 31 years old yeah. You know, you can I be, could
4: see, I could see Smith being in NHL oh, for sure. I know I he's going to throw that out.
0: <laughs> so another quick tidbit, because my brother is a huge fan of Giovanni Smith. He just loves yeah. the way he yep. plays. He, he's like, he's a left-handed Wayne Simmons. It's pretty much hard yeah. to call him. <laughs> I
2: see it. Yep.
0: And I was working the GLI for the hockey writers and I was down by the locker rooms the day after Giovanni got called up. So Giovanni was actually, and I remember I was walking by the locker room. And I'm like, hey, it's Giovanni Smith. And I told my brother, he's like, and you didn't get a picture. And I'm like, <laughs> and I and I was wearing my suit and stuff. I'm like, Dad, dude, I can't just go up and ask people for <laughs> autographs. Heck, if that were the case, after I was done talking to Eric Carlson, I would have gotten their autograph.
4: autograph. Yeah, yeah,
0: but it's I have to be professional, you know. Just say it's
4: that tough line. I tough know line. it. Yeah. I know
0: it. You know, hey Joe Thornton, fun uh, fun. you know, be able to like puff your chest out. Hey Joe Thornton, how you doing? <laughs> <are> you're doing <laughs> good. <laughs> awesome, that's good stuff. I'm you
4: not starstruck. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> by the way, Joe Thornton—he's a lumberjack. He literally looked like a lumberjack put a suit on. It was the most. <laughs> I it was I was honestly intimidated for a second, like, because Eric Carlson's like five foot, what five ten? He's a like, little guy. He was to my shoulder, and I'm just like looking. I'm like, oh man, he's really that small. Like Martin Jones walked <laughs> back me and by me and everything, but then I saw Joe Thornton. I'm like. I don't care how bad your knees are. I'm not messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> <Good> was <laughs>
2: planned,
3: Sasquatch yeah. in person. Oh, man.
0: He's nice. I mean, great guy. He's another guy from right outside of, uh, it's right outside. of Well, he's, it says he's from London, Ontario, but he's from St. Thomas, which is where my great uncle's from. Uh, oh, not, okay. Not, so you guys
3: are probably related somehow. Uh,
0: listen, St. Thomas is not that small. <laughs> it's a little bit bigger than some people think. But, Getting to the Red, Wing, or the Red Wings and the Griffins. I, one guy that, and I know I'm good friends with Harrison Watt, the Ferris State play-by-play broadcaster. I had him on my show last year right around the time for Hobie Baker and all the postseason awards. And one guy he said that should be considered for the Hobie Baker but won't given how his team was, was Tara Harosi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a guy that bounced up a little bit and down. I actually saw him in Detroit early in the season. I saw him down yeah. at the Griffins. You know, mm-hmm. he's a guy, a very dynamic player. I don't, and I think the way his game plays, I don't think his size will hurt him at least in his development. But I mean, t- tell us a little about Hiroshi and how he can be maybe a major player for the Red Wings going forward.
3: Hiroshi, he's so we watched him when he was with State for a little while, and even then, I mean, I think he's a he's a phenomenal forward. Um, he's he's very skilled with skating. He's very tight with his turns and everything that he does. I think is very um, precision. But I think his issue in Grand Rapids and probably why he didn't get more of a call up this year, you know, a little bit longer time um, is because he was pretty inconsistent. You know, they, he would have he would have a stretch of games where he was really on point. He was taking he was getting those passes and that seemed to be kind of a tricky spot for him too. sometimes um, just the, the passing plays. I think he'd sometimes get a little overwhelmed with, but I. I don't think it was necessarily the speed of the game. I think it was just inconsistent. So he would have, he would have games where he just absolutely blew it. And in post games, he would, you know, he would just sit there and he knew, he knew exactly what coach was going to say to him. He knew exactly where he messed up and he knew exactly what was expected. Um, And I think it just had a hard time translating night overnight. So, when Detroit is doing call ups and things like that, you know, they're not going to take him up for an entire season if he can't consistently produce. Um, so it's better if he did remain in the AHL. So, you know, going forward, if he had a really good season this coming season, I could see him probably landing a spot maybe on a third or a fourth line, but I don't think it's going to be before halfway through the next season. But
4: I do think because he started the beginning of last, this past season. He was kind of shaky, like we're yeah. just saying, inconsistent. It's got to be the change in league. It's got to be the change mm-hmm. in demand in games played. Mm-hmm. He did
3: screening. say the schedule was much longer and demanding. Yeah, and that was which difficult. is huge
4: coming from college. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Um, so I do think that he had some advantage in – You know, in playing out some AHL games, but toward the end of this last season, it's so sad that it ended the way it did just because Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the players just started hitting their stride, which they had
3: so much more to give. And I
4: feel like he was one of those players who was really starting to, it was starting to Mm -hmm. click. It was starting to get consistent and, you know, it was cut a little short, but I think that that was promising in Mm -hmm. what's to come just to see what he is capable of in the kind of player that he was in college.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I mean, talking to him after games and stuff, the the schedule is one thing Like Janae said that it was an issue, you know, they play 30 to 32 games in a season, not 72 to 80, you know, it's completely in college, it, in college. and it's completely different. As far as the physical demands, once you pass that threshold, trying to meet those demands consistently, um, you know, even if you have a night or two where you are scratched, your body's still got the crap beat out of it. Yeah. And you have to try recover, you know, to be full and you know, be back 100 percent, which in the NHL, you don't you don't get a whole lot of days where you're just chilling and scratched because you've got a veteran issue. You know, yeah. that's that's not how that works. So I, I think, you know, like, like Janae said, I think he was getting closer to hitting his stride and it would have been great to see him how he performed in the playoffs I think that would have been a huge indicator for a lot of the guys on what they could do because it takes the game to such a
4: different level during the playoffs so he was finding confidence too yeah. it, it's, su- it's super encouraging to see players find their confidence and I think he was one of mm-hmm. those that he was letting his blind mates help him out a little bit and not taking so much on and not trying to do you know fancy, too much yeah, yeah. fancy moves in, in the neutral and I just think that that going forward, I think he's going to be a really promising player for sure. As far as NHL, I do think that remains to be seen to mm-hmm. see how his AHL tenure goes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Basically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he was right below a point in game average. I think it was 27 points in 35 games. I think it was, mm-hmm. I checked, but going to the next guy, cause it's funny the way they have it list. Cause I, I'm pretty much looking at the, of the cap friendly roster for at least mm-hmm. the, the Griffins that are signed with the red wings. And I guess Tara Rossi is making just a I, somehow he's above Valeno, I guess by alphabetical order, because they both make nine That'd be their NHL contract, whatever, but Joe mm. Valeno. And, you know, I talked about him, how I, how I kind of followed his days through the, through the Quebec league. He's a very talented player. He yeah. did extremely well at the of juniors this year. So I will not have anything to yell about him because, well, because <laughs> they won this year. So it's okay. Yeah. I, I mean, and I saw him, you know, throughout the season, Grand Rapids, he, he, didn't he didn't look like a superstar, but he wasn't like he was falling behind. And I said, mm-hmm. and I say this, and it's almost with Tarosi as well. It's the Anthony Mantha complex. You kind of have to just <laughs> give it some yeah. time because I remember when Anthony Mantha was playing on the third line on Todd Nelson's teams. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it was a str- like I remember I said like this guy's a bust. He's not going to make it, and now he's Anthony Mantha.
4: Right. Yeah. But- it, is, it is interesting though how quickly. I I mean, I'm a fan too. So how quickly we can write people off who are coming from a completely different place and who need to find their stride yet and have a whole new team to get into. Of course, it's hockey and it's a career. And, but I think that, um, like you're saying that when they don't come over and have like this huge point, um, match to what they came from, everybody's kind of like, oh, well, there he goes. (laughs) But I think that World that, lost. yeah, but I think um, I can't remember seeing Mantha play too much in Grand Rapids um, from my memory. But I know with Valeno, he he did the same thing that Hiroshi did as far as he took a little longer Slower in the start. beginning to yep. start. And we did videos on this, too. He was taking a while to start. We were very excited for him to come. We've always been Team Valeno yeah. over Team Zadina, I will say. Um, <laughs> and I think that. He did start to get his stride a little Mm -hmm. more. It took him a while to get that first goal, but he's a very intelligent player and he's very quick. He's got that Canadian skating that I just love to watch. It's very quick and it's very fluid. Um, And I just think his playmaking has Mm -hmm. been incredible. His
3: his physical play. I think one thing with Valeno that, Um, A lot of people compare Valeno to Zadina, obviously, because they were drafted the same season or the same year, Yeah, you know, so it's exactly so he's going to be this big stud. He's going to have like 50 points his first season or whatever. And then, you know, they're expecting Valeno to produce this ridiculous amount. Um, And I think there's, there wasn't a lot of allowance for the different styles of play for either of them when transitioning. Um, Whereas in Valeno's case, he is a big physical kid. He mm-hmm. does really well on the boards. That's kind of his niche. So getting to the net, getting those points was a little bit tricky because, you know, he is fighting much mar- much larger guys. And like Janae said, it did take him a little bit of time to acclimate. But, you know, and he actually had the worst plus minus rating on the whole team for pretty much the whole season. But when you look at that, if you just go off of that, you're like, wow, this kid sucks. He's a bust. We don't want him. He's taking too long. If you look at the season and how he progressed and slowly kind of dug himself out of that, I think that's where he mentally started getting into it a little bit more, where it was like, you know what, I'm the only one that can change this part about my game. I'm the only one that can score this goal, so I'm just going to go do it. And towards the end of the season, I mean, we saw his physical play got so much better. There was some nights where we didn't even notice him because there's always those players kind of outshining everyone else, but he's a subtle guy too sometimes. So in those moments, he was still working hard. He was still doing what he needed to do, but it was kind of in the background. He's not a limelight kind of guy. Yeah. So, I mean, towards the end of the season, he, he dug himself out and he became one of the most consistent players, I think on, on the ice for the young guys. Um, and you know, when it, when it comes to comparing Zadina and Valena, like everyone else does, I really don't think there's really much of a comparison because they're so different. Mm-hmm. And just totally different styles of player and totally different personas. It's just, it's hard to kind of put them in the same category. So I think that's one thing people need to remember about Valeno and Zadina separately is that going forward in this development, they're going to have, there's going to have to be allowances for different developmental styles. And Valeno might not be that big point guy. Zadina might not be this hundred points in a season guy like he was in, in, in major juniors. It just it might not happen, but he can still be a consistent player and consistent contributor. They're, they're not always going to be these absolute studs, and I think a lot of people get stuck on that sometimes.
4: I do think they can be, though. I do think they have that skill to be. I think I think I have a little more faith in Volano. just oh, I'm not saying going he on. Yeah.
3: Just saying that he might not.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's entirely possible. And, and the funny thing is that because how you have a guy – like Philip Zedana, who came from Halifax, and I have Jared McIsaac, who was an offensive powerhouse in Halifax, and because the the QMJHL, the numbers can get a little funny at times. Like I said, Anthony yeah. Mantha mm-hmm. led the league in scoring and was dormant for a couple of years in the AHL.
2: Yeah, and, mm-hmm.
0: and my thing with Mantha, it just seemed like it just—I watched him like I couldn't tell if he was working hard or if he just was behind yeah. the play. But one yeah. guy that came in with high hopes from Halifax, a few years, this is many years ago now, but he, he played recently at the Griffins, was Marty Firk. Yep. And yep. I've known Marty for literally since the day he, start, he moved to Grand Rapids. He, li- he lived near Jeff Hogan, and we would skate. And I, there was, we had, like, pro skates, and I would be the goaltender. And I can tell you right now, Marty Firk, <laughs> I, I tell you right now, when he hit that, when he took the hardest slap shot, At the HL All-Star Game. Did you feel that? (laughs) I tweeted it and I said, it all makes sense now that this, I swear, when he first came, he has this wicked shot. And the reason why he put up a lot of points, tell me how hard this is to get all these points in the QMJHL when you're running a power play on a good Halifax team where you're running the point and you have to your left, Nathan McKinnon and to your right, Jonathan (laughs) Duran. I'm putting up 100 points too. But, <laughs> yeah. but he's still a very talented player. The problem was with Marty was that he, didn't, he just couldn't develop the smarts of the game. Kid mm-hmm. can shoot the puck, he can skate, and he has hands. Mm-hmm. The problem he had when he first came over, and I experienced this because, like I said, I skated with him, is he couldn't aim his one-timers. Mm-hmm. Yep. There were, it was, two things happened. It either went high and wide and into the netting or at my head.
3: <laughs> that's why you duck. See, I
0: gotta no. Here's the thing: I gotta make the save. It didn't matter
2: because
0: yeah. because this was when Blashko was coaching. I remember one time we were skating out, and Blasho had his kid at the other end of the rink, and I'm trying so hard. and Hogan look, comes over me, he's like, "You're really giving, aren't you?" I'm like, "Hey, Blasho's over there. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get everything I can here.
3: It's my one I'm shot. I'm
4: gonna be the emergency goalie. <laughs>
0: hey, I'm telling you right now, if Dave Desander wasn't still around, um. <laughs> But no, well, shoot, I remember when Todd Nelson came to a couple of skates one year and actually was on the ice. And I'm like, all right, this is it, guys. Everything, <laughs> every, everything in the stomach. Just shoot. No, no corners. <laughs> everything in the stomach. We're looking good today. But um, no, Marty, and I, like I love, I love Marty. He's a great guy. And I know it just didn't quite pan out for him in the NHL, even though he has a <laughs> great shot. Mm-hmm. It's tough for some players and I, you know, you hope Zadina can pull it together and you hope a guy like Valeno can pull it together. Cause you know, the Red Wings, they'll need that depth talent moving mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. With that said guys that we've seen on this side of the pond, who are some guys that the Red Wings have drafted or are assigned that haven't quite made it on North American soil yet, or haven't quite made it into the pro ranks that Red Wings fans should be looking out for.
1: Mm, that's so hard.
0: Um,
3: Let's see here. Who are we talking about? It was that um, Johansson Johansson. Yeah, it's Albert Johansson. He's in the Swedish league right now. I think right now in Sweden, he's doing really well, but I think he's one that admittedly we didn't know a whole ton about um, and we kind of started digging in a little bit more. He's not. You know, he, he's not like crazy elite or anything like that, but he has a solid skill set that I think once, if they do take him over here, I think it'll translate to the AHL really well. Um, and then uh, one that I think everyone probably knows is Elvin Gruve. I know everyone's kind of pumped about him, mostly because he kind of has that chippy McCarty attitude where he's just a bit of an instigator, maybe a little bit more gritty than McCarty was. Um, oh, no. No,
4: <laughs> I don't know if there's any as well, gritty or more gritty than and scrappy,
3: <laughs> but I, Gruby, I, have, yeah. I have a McCarty
0: story for you guys when we go off the air here. There's I'm
4: not surprised, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but no, I think Johansson and Groove, I mean, both being Swedes, I think th- those are guys that I mean, you give them a couple more seasons where they're at, I think they'll be really good acquisitions over here on North American ice. Um, and I think
4: Soderblom, we've been doing Soderblom, um. Yeah.
3: We've got something with Swedes.
0: Say, <laughs> well, the Red Wings always get good Swedes. I mean, shoot, yes. you look at their history, yeah.
4: Yes. Uh huh. For sure. But we've been doing um, for our last few video casts. We've been going over the 2019 mm-hmm. draft picks, and Soderblom is one that I'm really excited for because he's a huge, massive. Um, he's getting more and more comfortable on the ice and mm-hmm. with his play. I just, I'm really excited to see where his big body's going to fit mm-hmm. in the organization and see what kind of elite, yeah. Talent he's going to have coming forward because it is hard. Because when they're not playing in the public eye, as far as like it's hard to get Swedish games, it's hard yeah. to get, you know, unless some-
3: they're bootlegged and then it just gets real sketchy
4: <laughs> but- <laughs> and then it just
0: destroys your laptop.
4: Trust <laughs> exactly. me, exactly.
3: I- it's, it's the same thing with the Russian games, and I don't know if there's a correlation, <laughs> but you know, we try to watch these international games, and you know, we end up watching like uh, World Junior Championships and even like these minor minor junior championships trying to find these guys well
4: even from one game to the next mm-hmm. that we end up finding the growth is so incredible is. and I just think that the scouts have done a mm-hmm. fantastic job the last couple seasons to get these mm-hmm. guys on cue for the coming see I'm mm-hmm. very excited to see where the Red Wings yes. are going to go and what the drafts are going to look like and this year's drafts look like. I know. but I think that Solderblom, Elmer Solderblom, is yeah. one of the more exciting ones for me.
3: He's got a good disposition, though. Too, I think he handles like when when he was at development camp and they were kind of going over. Is it, it, it? You could tell it kind of was old news when they were talking about his size and how it slowed him yeah. down skating. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the kids. He's what six six, six seven. He's not small, and it's actually kind of funny to watch when people try hit him. They literally just hit him at like their belly button. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Um, but he's a big boy, but he knows that kind of it's an area he has to work on. And so when watching from development camp to juniors and things like that and comparing and contrasting, he did get better. You know, he it seems like he took the instruction really well.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So but we're excited about Swedes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that
4: Any and every Swede.
3: <laughs> you know?
0: Going going to solar boom there. And it, it's kind of funny because he has like the similar comparison to Frederick Goche, who's now a, a good part of the Leafs. Uh, depth center roles, and Soderblom as a center winger. Does he? Do you guys know if he plays center or wing more? Which one he
3: plays more of?
4: I feel like I've seen him play center more, mm-hmm. but then there's. I, I think i watched a few games of his.
3: I would say, just for sake of argument, we could probably say 50-50 because what we've watched him in—it depends so much on who he's on a line with. And because he was—I mean—in juniors, he was playing again. He was playing with Lucas Raymond, who's obviously a, just right. a dynamite player uh-huh. and very versatile. So he was holding center more in that instance. But right. yeah, he's—he seems pretty comfortable in both.
4: That's nice though to have a pliable mm-hmm. forward who can do both
0: mm-hmm. or either. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> but going back to the comparisons, the fact that. Goche is six five, six six, depending on what day it is. It seems like, but <laughs> he he really he because I he was there. He was on the Leafs roster when the Leafs won the Centennial Classic in Toronto. He was on that. He was in the lineup that night. Yeah, and yeah. then he didn't play it all the next season mm-hmm. because he just he, his skating wasn't quite there yet. And the Leafs had picked up some depth centers they could use. But now he's there full time because his skating has gotten so much better. And that's yeah. just something with big guys that's just yeah. hard for them to yeah. develop, just to get the yeah. muscle down beneath the belt.
3: Yeah, to be able to move those limbs at an agile pace, it seems like it would be extremely difficult.
0: <laughs> it, it it is definitely tough. And I it is a and it's going to be a big transition because he's playing right now in the the super elite the uh, the, the under 20 league yeah. over there and and he's yeah. tearing it up and so I don't expect him to come over anytime soon. No. Just because no. I mean the Swedish elite league is such a a, a crazy league at times cuz I never ever look at, whenever I see a defenseman come over from the Swedish elite league, someone says, Oh, he's only got four points. I'm like, do you watch the Swedish elite league games?
1: <laughs> Nobody <laughs>
0: scores in those leagues.
1: They're all so good. <laughs> right. And,
0: and it's, and it's funny because the Leafs just signed Miko Lettinen out of the KHL. And he just, and he actually, he was close to a point in game player, if not more, which, which was why I'm like, all right, you have to sign him because if you have a defenseman in Europe, that's close to a point in game player, I don't care how bad he is in his defensive zone. <laughs> sign him because you can develop. You we can develop. Those points. You can you can develop these zone play. Hey, the least we don't have offense. We have Frederick Anderson. That's it. That's that's our defense. <laughs>
3: yeah. Sounds like enough to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, we have Jake Muzzin and his and his half Joe Thornton beard. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's bigger than Thornton's beard now because he shaved and it's right terrifying.
2: Yep. but
0: <laughs> I mean, how long? And it's tough because I have. Like we've had people on the show that are Red Wings fans, and of course I live in, we live in Michigan, so Red Wings galore. <laughs> I always talk to them and I ask. I mean, as long as you are not Walmart Red Wings fans, they're like, "Oh my gosh, they lost, they suck, whatever." People yeah. that people <laughs> like people like you too that actually look at them and see what you know what they can do and such. Mm-hmm. How long do you think it'll be? Because obviously Eisman wants to develop through the draft. And which means, yes, the wings are not going to try to, they're not going to try hard to get good soon. Like at least be, they're not going to try to sell to get a, you know, big move at the deadline. How long do you think it'll be just a legit guess before the wings start to become a contender again with their, to, to actually start to think about buying at the deadline?
3: Well, I mean, if you think about it, when Eisenman took over, we basically, basically reset the rebuild. So he kind of not necessarily pitched Holland's plan, but I think he kind of completely redid it. <laughs> so it reset the whole thing. And even that it was, you know, on the, on the low end, you were looking at five seasons because you're, you're loading up on these young picks and these developing players. So, you know, they develop and get ready where they're at in their juniors. So it's another season or two. And if they're collegiate another four, and then you pull them over, you develop them at the AHL level, which could be up to three seasons. So you're looking at a minimum of like five to seven seasons before one of these draftees are 100 percent ready, you know, depending if they just completely excel. So to put an actual number on like being a cup contending and competitive that team a
4: lot on the developing players, mm-hmm. like yeah. on. How quickly they can be ready, how elite they turn out to be, if they can hit their strides, if they don't need a lot of hand holding. If
3: the coaching staff buys in, if, you know, it's just, there's so many. I would say on the very lowest end, five seasons until you start seeing some real steady competition.
4: I would think so. I do think that we ideally have more of a future of. Competitive hockey instead of like what fifteen wins in a yeah right. yeah you'll see more fights for sure. <laughs> I, I feel like that at least is coming with mm-hmm. um, like goalie changes and shifting of um, other players just mm-hmm. going up. But I do I think Rachel's pretty yeah, on. Really. It. I just feel like anything less than five seasons mm-hmm. would be. It'd be a miracle. (laughs) It it would definitely
3: be a miracle, but I think, too, a good indication is going to see what moves they do in Grand Rapids over the next two or three seasons, though, too, because that's going to be a huge indicator of, well, that – I mean, you're going to – there's going to be massive roster changes, too. We've got big contracts going away and dropping some dead weight, and I've heard that, you know, Steve's into, like, the two seasons, and if you don't – like, when they sign new players – it's basically two seasons, and once you see him signing someone for longer than two seasons, he's more and more confident in the structure of the team. So I think that's going to be a huge indicator too. So I think five seasons, probably minimum. Yeah. Um, realistically, I don't think it's going to be a cup in that amount of time. But hey, we've been surprised before. So
4: I mean, when Steve was drafted, he didn't get a cup until he
3: was like what was so it, it? Like
4: thirteen seasons in. It was it was something was, crazy long. He was what drafted eighty
3: four. He
0: drafted eighty three, so it's been four. It's been his 13th season, yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: Ha, I got it.
0: Nailed it. Good I, brain. I will I will say this. If you have any questions about Wings stuff, it may be, even though, because I was born a Wings fan. I was born a Wings <laughs> fan. I just. <laughs> what happened? High school. High Well, another story for a different time, but in <laughs> high school, eventually I turned, I always told everyone, Chris Osgood was my favorite goaltender until <sighs> I, until I passed him in height. Is <laughs> what so I tell oh. That's how I tell him, because I that was around the time, because he retired in 2010, and then after that, it was like, oh, Jimmy Howard, okay, and I'm like, hey, you know what, because I always kind of like the Leafs, and then I'm like, you know what, let's just cheer for them.
3: Well, that explains it. If Ozzy was the one that made you go to the Leafs, <laughs> that explains it all.
0: <laughs> well, he didn't make me go to the Leafs. He was done playing, and I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I mean, yeah, the wings are good, but yeah, let's check out these Leafs, and I started cheering for them, like, full-time when they
3: were bad. <laughs> I think the Osgood conversation is an entirely different Good podcast.
4: Peace <laughs> River, Alberta. Yep.
3: we're Dude. not big. We have trust issues because of goalies. <laughs> hey, Chris. Hey, Chris it's, Osgood it's deserves to be in the Hall
0: of Fame. I will fight anyone <laughs> that tells me different.
4: <laughs> Another time. Another spoken time. Spoken <laughs> from a true goalie.
0: Um. All right. So this will be my final question for you gals today. So as of right now. And I'm pretty sure even if the season does get kicked back up, the wings will have the last spot in the league. We sure will. Yeah. <laughs> you earned it. Today. You earned it this yeah, year. That's right. Um, that's Die hard but, over here. So yes, the great possibility of the lottery is that they would have the best percentage. Now, yes, mm-hmm. we've seen it before where it's gotten messed up where Edmonton rigs it somehow and they get Connor McDavid.
3: <laughs> <laughs> maybe Toronto will rig it this year. The, I
0: Leafs, never know. the Leafs were one ball away from getting Connor McDavid. I'm Aww. just saying, Newmarket, <laughs> so Ontario, David,
4: David, Con- right? Oh, I, <laughs> Dad. I, it's I love David. over the glass
3: moment. Just-
0: <laughs> I, yeah, you're right. It's Bill Daly. I hate Bill. No, right. can know why? Because Bill Daly flipped the car the next year for the Leafs. We get Austin Matthews. All right. Uh, yeah. Peace, yeah. peace be with the world, except for the contract. It worked. But, that's <laughs> yeah. it. but the two obviously big prospects this year, the number one picks are Alexi Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield. Quinn Byfield, of Sudbury in the OHL, Lexi Lafreniere, Vermuski in the Quebec League. Have you two really been able to keep tabs on those two guys too much, or has it kind of been like just seeing if you even get the first overall pick first?
4: A little more we've seen Lafreniere play. Um, I would say initially his attitude does not strike me as one that I am a huge fan of. <laughs> But that's of course with the understanding that usually I look at like the best hockey player and go, mmm, let's see. <laughs> it right. goes back to that we're instantly
3: skeptical if they're praised too much kind of thing. But I
4: do think he's a very talented player. Yes. A very there's no denying mm-hmm. that he's an incredible player.
3: Which is why there's a chip on his shoulder.
4: Which is why he is so successful. Yeah. Um I I wanna huh. <laughs> you can take this over. I just want to say that.
3: <laughs> no, Leffin, we we've watched a lot more of year than we have of Byfield. Um Honestly, when, when it comes to the draft every year, both of us typically like the the guys in the top five or even top 10 sometimes are not the ones that we're focusing on because even though the wings might get a, get someone in the top spot. And it might be great, we know how they develop and we know exactly how the fans are gonna react when you get this superstar and stud and then he doesn't end up in the NHL the very next season. So I think that kind of we tend to focus more on the later picks, honestly, because okay. of that. Yeah. Um, so if it, it a dream come true would be to get Tim Stutzel. I he's would he's
4: not a later I mean, he's number one He's later in, in the first round. In, yeah. <laughs> and that would be incredible. I would
3: love to get Stutzel or, or Raymond. Oh, Lucas Raymond. I would no, so love to get awesome. him. It's uh, it's those Germans and Swedes again. Oh. But uh, between between the two, though, um, Lafineer and Byfield, um, I mean, knowing more about Lafineer, he could be a solid pick. He'll be a good pick for anybody, he, really. He
4: be, he's going to be yeah. fantastic. He kind of play.
3: reminds me of Andrei Svechnikov a little bit in how he plays, mm-hmm. just a tiny bit. Yeah. But I, I, I do think we kind of – both of us tend to gravitate towards the attitude of a player too And keeping in mind that these are kids, you know, yeah, so if they get picked, t- they're
4: grown in a lot yeah, of Yeah,
3: exactly. And it's a huge honor to be picked no matter what, what round you're picked in. Um, but I do think the over glorification of two top players tends to get to their head and put unrealistic expectations on them. Um, I mean, you kind of, like, even, even Jack Hughes, I mean, he was he was picked first, and, you know, it just...
4: And it doesn't save a team, you know? It doesn't. So, it's, it is, like Rachel's saying, the prospect pool, the way things work as far as, you know, first-rounders, who was the last one that we got in the first round that went right to the NHL? Most, some teams, like Jack Hughes, he went right to the NHL. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see him playing in the AHL. I mean, no, it just didn't seem like that was the way it was going to yeah. go, plus... The Devils weren't doing so great, so why not throw them in there? They sold oh, out, man. Before yeah. that season started, they sold everything. <laughs> yeah.
3: PK
0: yeah. Subban, Wayne Simmons, this is gonna be great. Yep. Wait, yep. you don't have a goaltender, and that's <laughs> all you have on defense is PK Subban. <laughs> I was, I, I'll say, I was cheering for them. I was hoping they did well. Oh yeah. But the yeah. writing and yeah, they had Taylor Hall, but it was not but gonna go if- well.
4: But what if Rodore came out of retirement? Oh, wouldn't that be <laughs> awesome! And played exactly. and yeah,
0: and played for who to pick a random team. He would have probably have <laughs> gone to you know Vegas or something or Dallas, play yep. four games then retire. The
1: Florida Panthers.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, do the do the Tim Thomas route. Just come back from your trees and out of nowhere and play for Florida <laughs> and then Dallas. And,
3: exactly, but uh, I think I don't know the the draft is such a funny thing because I it does obviously. It's the best of the best uh, out of those who are eligible, and of course, we're going to be watching the kids who are in the USHL now because those are the ones that we've been watching develop and we're pumped for. But we both get kind of hung up on the 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 top the top
4: guys. Well, think about it. We, if anything, Rachel and I prefer covering AHL and junior hockey. An underdog.
1: The stars,
4: <laughs> the studs—they're great. We love NHL. We love the Red Wings. We love keeping up on all mm-hmm. the prospects. And them coming to the NHL, but we love to watch it go from the bottom mm-hmm. seemingly like the USHL, yeah, to the top of the NHL. So like Alex Gaffney, he's yeah. on the top fifty. I think he's he's a notable yeah. for the central um mm-hmm. central scouting and for the draft, and he played with the yep. USHL Lumberjacks. And yeah. we're so excited. And to Daniel go. Gushin, he's are, gonna be one. Yeah, all of the guys from the Chicago Steel yep. that are gonna be eligible always. for always the draft <laughs> who are just incredible. We just want to see these guys who Mm -hmm. start in the USHL and see them go, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of the ones who are like, oh, everybody worship this guy. Yeah. And, you know, go underneath. Well, like Janae said, too, not
3: one player. And we as Red Wings fans or any hockey fan, you know, one player is not going to save your team. They could be a huge difference maker. So you could get or we could get Lefrenier. Okay, great. So we have we have a Lefrenier. Now, what do we do? Well, he develops. Okay, And then everyone gets pissed off because he's not in the NHL. And just an absolute scoring machine because the rest of the team has to be developed too. So it's not. I I, I like the excitement around it. I do wonder it. though
4: if we did get Lafreniere, I do wonder if he would go right to NHL. I don't know
3: if, if he landed it. in Grand Rapids, he would be my first interview request. <laughs> so, I you know what? Laf- so I could ask him if him and Joe Valeno are actually best friends.
0: <laughs> well, the way they looked in the World Juniors, you would have thought.
3: Uh, yeah, they're pretty chummy. I yeah.
0: I will say this, Lafreniere. Before the World Junior Tournament, I was quitting by a field over Lafreniere because I had talked mm-hmm. to so many scouts. And he's six he's four, left-handed, very yeah, nice, yep. and really hardworking kid.
2: Mm-hmm. And he plays
0: on a subpar Sudbury team and is pretty much dragging that team towards a you know, possible playoff spot again in Division Crown. <laughs> yeah. Now, Alexi Lafreniere comes in and just absolutely destroys the World Junior tournament's, you know Tournament's yeah. best player. And I said, I'm like, all right, he's ready. And, mm-hmm. the, and so Quinn Byfield, I don't think he could actually play in the NHL after he got drafted anyways, because he's so young. He's one month removed from not being eligible for this year's draft. So he'd have to either play in the OHL or he could go to Grand Rapids, I think. And mm-hmm. then, so that's why I think maybe Lafreniere would be more ready mm-hmm. than Byfield. Both very talented players. Both are left-handed, which for me is great, because I think there needs to be more left-handed players in this game because they're easy. They're actually, believe it or not, for a goaltender, Harder to read shots. Right handers, yeah. so, right handers <laughs> are easy because right handers,
1: they just go. are just weird.
0: They just mm-hmm. go glove high. That's like I said, Marty Furk. He would either shoot at my head or go glove side. I'd make the save <laughs> no matter. It either hit me or go wide. It's terrifying, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it'll be an adjustment. And I like to think, you know, and and I just, it's funny. I say not one player can save a franchise, and I'm like. Have you not met Steve Eiserman? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, it took a lot what well, what she's saying is it t- it took a long time. He really was long drafted. Time. He yep. was a stud when he was mm-hmm. drafted. We had to break a lot of laws to get Russians
3: and you know
4: <laughs> which thank you for doing
3: that. I,
0: I love by the way, that have you, you guys I take you guys have watched the, the Russian,
3: Russian five, five film? Oh back. yeah. We we pre ordered tickets when it was coming to Grand Rapids and we went to go see it. We the were theaters. like one
4: of maybe fifteen people in the theaters, but we did wait a while to see it. So
3: yeah, we okay. wore our jerseys. It I was
0: I, worth it. I will say this: I did wait for it to come on Prime. I just rented it on Prime, so I was, I was I was one of those. I, I mean, I am for me going to movie theaters. I've I will say I hate that, movie
3: theaters, and I made the sacrifice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm okay with it. I've seen I only like I can only go see premieres now, just because I like. I like now. I love empty theater, but I like whenever like everyone's watching it. Yeah. Like I went to see the last Star Wars when it premiered, and mm-hmm. I was granted. It was. I mean, for me, it was cool because it was a Star Wars movie, and then everyone, mm-hmm. like the wife and I, we yelled when. Oh, have you seen it yet?
3: No, we probably okay. won't. We're uh, we're original Star Wars fans almost exclusively. Like,
4: like the first three, like four, okay. five, six.
3: All right. Yeah. <laughs> if if okay, if you are I
4: VHS,
0: <laughs> I have in my possession the original three on VHS. We do too. The original VHS. No, not the one the yeah, the from the seventy seven and everything. So then I ask so then I ask this if you guys are such (laughs) original series Star Wars Uh fans, (laughs) what do you call the first movie? Do you call it Star Wars or do you call it a New Hope? We just call it Star Wars. Good. Okay. We're on the same page here. <laughs> let's say if you're not a Star Wars fan, if you call it A New Hope. No, they just did that because yeah, they need to be a connector. Oh, um,
4: yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's Star Wars. That's all it is. It's real. I'm... It just says <laughs> Star Wars on the VHS. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm glad we all agree on that because.
3: <laughs> we had this discussion literally just like two days ago, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: Because, no, So the so the wife and I think for on, on May the 4th we watched Return of the Jedi because mm, I kept saying sense. that. Well, because we wanted one that and like, let's have one that ends in a good way. And I'm like, because yeah. like, Empire is the best one.
2: Yeah, mm, it is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Even though for me personally, because the first one that came out when I was alive was Phantom Menace. Mm.
2: So oh, yeah.
0: I, I will always have slight partisan to Phantom Menace. I get why people think it's stupid and then why the prequels, no.
2: <laughs>
0: I get why the prequels are stupid, but I'll yeah. tell you this right now. The first one was awesome. And the third one dang near made me cry in the movie theater.
3: Oh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Well,
2: <laughs>
0: no, well, okay, well, passing. just because so,
3: Passion, yeah, I, well, it's
0: great because like I, I listen, I, cause I'm a John Williams fan. I love the music mm-hmm. and it's my music background and my brother the same way as well. So listening to the music, the way it happens when Obi Wan goes against Anakin in Episode Three, oh, it's
2: just like yeah.
3: it's just like this that has to happen. Uh, <laughs> but it is, that's a tough scene. I feel so bad for Obi Wan. Uh,
0: that's, yeah.
3: that's that is definitely a tearjerker. You sure. are my
0: brother, Anakin. I'm like,
3: no.
2: <laughs>
0: it's just like, uh, my ten year old self was like, my dad's like, get it together. I'm like, I
2: can't. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's the why, agony. and that's why, whenever someone comes up and tells me, it's like, oh yeah, you can watch all the movies in episode order. I'm like, no, you can't. No, no, you can't. Because you want just to know, just
1: because it's a numerical
3: order does not mean it's an actual order.
0: Yeah, Duh. I mean, it's like, it, yeah, because then, ep, then Empire, the end of it is useless because you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah right
0: yeah I will say the the most the purest reaction I've ever seen because when I was a kid I saw him like, oh he's actually his father I'm like I was a kid I was crazy but I didn't know I didn't see a video of how I reacted uh-huh. one of my friends had his kid and he said he'd watch Empire for the first time and he showed and he videotaped him watching the scene and his five-year-old son went what and like freaked out because he'd never <laughs> seen the prequels and I'm just like that's the, that is the reaction I needed
3: yep. mind blown. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. Oh yeah, we were talking about hockey one point, weren't we?
3: We were, yeah. Um, yeah. Star Wars hockey, a new hope. It's pretty much the Red Wings. So it all ties together. You know you
0: guys can call it a new hope. We'll just tell you there's we'll just call them the Detroit Red Wings. We'll call them the original name that they were. That's what we'll (laughs) do.
2: Exactly.
0: See that's how you tie it all together, folks. That's what you call a massive segue and a half.
3: Thank you, Janae. The most bunny trail ever. Oh, the
0: yeah. most seamless ever. Thank you, Janae <laughs> and Rachel, for coming on. Once again, folks, catch them Access Hockey Michigan. Catch them online with their awesome articles and Rachel's awesome articles, Janae's awesome pictures, their awesome interviews on YouTube, their awesome channel, and they break down all the best prospects that they like to say nobody knows about. <laughs> <laughs> And they cover all the good stuff, including the walleye, lumberjacks, giving more content to teams that may not get the same amount of content as other places, which is awesome. And catch them, of course, in either a hockey writer stuff. Janae takes awesome photos for the hockey writers for us, and Rachel writes awesome Red Wings articles for us on the hockey writers. And you said you guys have any video coming up today, you said?
3: Yes, yeah. uh, on our YouTube, which is just Access Hockey MI. So it's every Tuesday we launch a new video cast. So we've got one launching in probably about an hour, actually. And we have
4: 74 other ones up right now that you can go watch. Yeah, yeah. All
3: the yeah. interviews, need our some, very well-informed opinions.
0: Need, some, <laughs> need something to binge? Watch some Access Hockey MI. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Yeah. What, Thank you once again, Rachel and Janae. We will definitely talk soon, and maybe you'll hear us at a Griffin. Actually, no, we won't because there are going to be no fans next year. Never mind. I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: hey, I'll be broadcasting, just not a Van Andel. All right. Uh, you you too take care. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah,
1: All right. So Thank you.
0: And once again, that was Rachel and Janae Anderson of Access Hockey MI. Great content. And it's funny how I just found him. I just found him on YouTube. And I'm like, wait, I know that Janae. Because I, like I said, as I talked to him in the interview, I knew her from the hockey writers. And I'm like, hey, they have their own show. I'm like, hey, that'd be kind of cool to have him on because they have such a unique take. And it's, it's interesting to have people that do kind of stuff like that, like go deep dive into the prospects of, you know, their respective clubs. Because... I mean, there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of shows out there that do that, that go into, you know, I know there's a couple people that are really heavy into the uh, Utica Comets or at least the Vancouver Canucks and their prospects. And I know there's a couple, I'm sure there's a few Leaf shows that have the same kind of in-depth analysis as you will. And, and people that are willing to stay up and watch Swedish hockey games and Swedish Elite League games and DEL games, that right there are true fans. And, That's what definitely Rachel and Janae are. Like I said, go on their YouTube channel. We'll put a link to that in our description here today. As I always say that, and I think I always forget, but this time I'm going to write it down because it is important. Now we're going to go to our third and final interview of this one. Tate Harris of the Ontario Hockey League. The OHL podcast, that is. The O-Podcast. Let's bring him on. We're going to dissect what happened this past season of the ohl because we haven't really talked about a whole lot of junior hockey on here as i did last season i know everyone loved the coverage and i know i should have done more this year but this time let's let's get it from an outside perspective someone that actually lives in ontario and actually covers them more often than not anyways let's get to that Now joining us here on the Kill Podcast is the host of the O Show Podcast, the best podcast covering the Ontario Hockey League, covering all aspects of one of the three leagues of the Canadian Hockey League, all the way from Kingsville, Ontario. I know it's not that far from here, but nonetheless, Tate Harris, ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing, Tate? Good, yeah, good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Great introduction. I love it. I I, I feel good. I try my best with those. You know, I I have some clever ones here and there, and sometimes I have to basic them out a little bit. But, Tay, it's good to have you on here. And how are you doing? How are you handling this whole crazy pandemic we're all experiencing?
5: Uh, Pretty good so far. I mean, there was a bit where, uh, to be honest, I kind of took a break from hockey. Uh, You know, was laid off of work. Started, you know, once that happened, really focusing on, I went back, looked at some old clips and just trying to come up with content because I think people want sports content. So it's just trying to get them that content right now is what
0: I've been trying to figure out. Yeah. It's been a tough couple of weeks. Cause I mean, here on, you know, TKP we have, we mainly focus on the NHL, but we talk about other stuff too. And you know, it's always, it's, it is tough. I mean, you try to do like some historical stuff and it's been fun to watch all these classic games. Unfortunately, down here in the States, I was not able to watch the 87 Canada cup series, even though that literally is the greatest display of hockey. I think ever, even by today's standards, (laughs) I'll, I'll lead you off with this question because we, I mean, we were both around for 2010 watching that 87 team, actually watching them, watching them play and how the game was, could that team who would win 2010 Crosby Canadians or the 87 Canada Cup team?
2: Uh,
0: I would have to say
5: 2010, and it's because of goaltending. Um, just like it's just so different. Like I was watching a bar down video, like TSN that does those. Uh, like I don't know, they're more like comedy, I guess, sports videos. And yeah, they were watching the game, and they they mentioned how every goal the puck's not coming off the
0: ice. Like, like they're sliding in,
2: basically. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, nobody went down in the... Well, okay, only Patrick Wall went down back in those days. He was the only goaltender yeah. in the butterfly. And it's, it's so funny to watch those games, because you can find, you know, I guess illegally, you know, full-length NHL games from the 90s, early 2000s, and it's just fun to watch them, because you're just like, man, the stuff they used to do... And, I forgot who tweeted it, but someone tweeted, why did they allow so much hooking back in those days? And I said, because guys like Eric Lindros went full speed into those corners, and had he not been held up, he would have killed somebody.
5: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah they kind of had to let it happen, but it, it's just such a different game. And, and I think even like from the physical aspect, I think a 2010 team in Canada uh, would probably win just because it's so different. But if, if those eighty-seven players like Le, like you've seen the dangles from Lemieux, like he he was advanced, like the way he was playing was not right for that time. If that makes sense,
0: he it's funny because he was never a physical player either. That's the thing. People no. look at he's six foot four, six four, six five. He's taller than I am, and he has these hands that's ridiculous. Like Eric Lindros didn't even have those kind of hands, even though how good he was. Yeah.
5: Well, I'm not sure if you remember, and like people might hate me for this comparison, so take it take it lightly. But when Austin Matthews played with Connor McDavid on Team North America, I felt like similar vibes to Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, just because like Austin's that big, uh, you know, big player that doesn't really use his body in a physical way with some sick hands and can score the goals and Connor was just setting them up like that kind of, I know like I'm not comparing Austin Matthews to Mario Lemieux, so I don't want anyone to, to at me, but
0: it just, it, like those pairings kind of remind me of each other. Oh, I mean, it's, you know, that was funny too, because I, I remember that tournament so well, because at the time I was just about to move back to Canada, I played senior A up in Lucknow, Ontario, near Goderich up there, right up the road. Well, not okay. right up the road from you, yeah. but up a little further north. The, um, but I remember because I watched it both the American feed on ESPN and then on CBC and Sportsnet, and it was so much fun because I was then I got to I got up to the time where I was able to watch the final series in Canada win, and for the one time us Leafs fans actually cheered for Brad Marshan, the one and only time yeah. it's probably oh, ever yeah. happened, until the <laughs> NHL goes back to the Olympics. But that's another story for a different time. And I just remember <laughs> like watching Team North America and thinking, man, if that I literally said like if Team North America was able to get by Sweden and had to play Canada. I don't know what I would have done. It would have been so tough.
5: I, I probably would have been cheering for team North America. They were such a fun team and people hate on it. And I don't know if it's because I'm younger, or what it is. Uh, I loved it. Like I get it. It's a fake team, not a real team. And it was kind of a gimmick and it could have went south, but it, it worked out. They played fast and it, I don't know. I loved every second of that team. Like, during this quarantine, I rewatched the game against Sweden, and, like, even Nathan McKinnon was on
0: like, the third line. It's it's so crazy. This, I, I still, like, the three-on-three is literally the greatest three-on-three I've ever seen. And I love yeah, watching that. It's the reason why I say you just get rid of the shootout, go 10 minutes. 10-minute 10 three-on-three. You, It's the best hockey you'll ever see. And... Yeah. I just remember, because I was like, I even jumped out of my seat, because it was such a crazy, like, I've never cheered, I've, I like John Gibson, I remember how good he was in his junior day, especially with Kitchener and all that, but I never thought he was going to, I'm like, yeah, okay, he's good, but he was made of glass, he always got hurt when he was younger, and then he makes that big save against Sedin in overtime, and I'm just like, Gibson's great, and then I, then McKinnon and Goudreau, the fact, uh oh, that, he was hurt during that game too, wasn't he? I, I think I remember them saying something like that. Uh, he might to
5: pull the groin or something like that. I'm not sure. Maybe it was a different. Maybe it was
0: a rushing game or something. But well, when those splits that he made to make the save, I think so. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, those teams. Now that's a good question. The uh, Team North America or the 2010 team
0: ah, uh, I'd give that one to the 2010 team just because that team was so veteran laden and they knew how to play. Yeah. And I think that's what did North America in because let's be honest, really the only awful team in that tournament in that 2016 World Cup was probably the Czechs. And Finland had a yeah. tough draw too. So that's why I give Finland benefit of the doubt there. But the reason why North America didn't make it past round robin was because they choked against the Russians. And I think that's what we yeah. do because they are so young. I mean, they're, they were literally built to be a 23 under team. Let's have the kids play. And mm-hmm. they were exciting, but they didn't know how to get the job done. And it, had they tied there had they got a point in that Russia game. You're right. They may have played team Canada and we would have all had, you know, the world would have exploded <laughs> probably. Yeah. Actually, no, probably the Americans. Yeah, no. Well, I don't know who, who do you think was the worst team in that tournament?
5: Uh, I mean, uh, The worst thing to say, America, like the Americans, it's tough because you knew they could have been better if they chose the right players. Phil (laughs) Castle. Yeah, uh, Phil Castle, San Allen's not great, especially during that time. But yeah, it. uh, I'm not really sure. Like that's why it would be tough to say the Americans.
0: Yeah. I well, remember they like they came out and they built. They were said that they were going to beat Canada and they built a team to beat Canada and then Canada just smoked him and that was that's how it goes but yeah well i think during the exhibition games they beat canada and they're like see
5: oh yeah. i'm pretty um i i that, i mean it was a long time ago now
0: which is well i whatever. do <laughs> i do remember though how you're out north america and like europe just stunk during the prelim games and then europe won and then anze kopitar said see boys we fooled them <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i remember how that
5: yeah that's uh, uh honestly i think that's why a lot of people hate on that because uh the team europe winning or getting to the finals it's yeah but it was yeah. a great tournament nonetheless
0: it was fun except for the board graphics that's yeah that was that could have been done away with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a reason they haven't uh, made a comeback for sure oh, gosh it was that was some crazy times but these are crazy times, too, indeed here, Tate. And, you know, the OHL, obviously, they were the, probably the first to really go ahead and say we're going to cancel the season. I know the ECHL probably canceled before, but the CHL came out and said to me, no Memorial Cup. And the rest of the leagues followed suit. You know, what is the worst part, you know, as a fan of the OHL that this season was canceled? What were some of the big stories heading towards the postseason?
5: Uh, well, I think you kind of had you had a lot of teams that were good um, that could have could have won in the West. Uh, like you, you're looking at Kitchener, London, Saginaw, uh, even Flint. Like that was such a mystery uh, what, what was going to happen with those teams, uh, especially Saginaw was getting hot at the end. Uh, London was getting hot. Uh, Kitchener had their struggles earlier in the year and then Mike McKenzie took over as interim head coach. Uh, they got Jacob Ingham back. It was just, to me, the story in the West, because I think a lot of people knew Ottawa was, was that team. I guess the Peets, I mean, they always beat Ottawa, but they struggle against every other team, it seemed like. But I think the story was what was going to happen in the West and who would have got to that Western Conference Finals. And, and to me, whoever won that series uh, well, would have won, won the ohl championship, so i think that that's what i miss and, and i was excited because uh, it looked like the Windsor spitfires were going to play the Flint over to flint yet to see a game so i was pretty pumped to go see that i heard they got like little caesars and some buffalo wild wings so super pumped for that to happen it didn't happen so that's that might be a little more upsetting than to see uh, who would have won the west
0: You know, Tate, um, as someone who is from Michigan and has been around most of the lower peninsula playing hockey, if you're going to go to Flint, uh, uh, I'll tell you where to go. Flint is a very uh, tough, tough city. Um, You know, it does have stuff and it does have the big Piranis hockey store there in the mall, which is great. However, you don't want to leave your car unlocked over there and you know, make sure your tires are latched together so they don't, you no, know, they don't get taken off. It's it's a tough neighborhood, but let's go into the Firebirds though, because obviously the town's a little funny, but this team is funny in itself because let's be honest, since they moved from Plymouth, they've been a doormat of the OHL of mainly you know the Western Conference, last place finish, last place finish. It's it it doesn't go well for them this year though. I mean, they are able to somehow put everything together, they have the right combination of players, and then all of a sudden they start to get these wins, and everyone's like, oh, this team's actually good. And, you know, you can look at it from the goaltending perspective, you can look at it from, you know, their timely scoring, the fact that they just seem to never lose at home, Ty Deleandria, probably their best player. What made the Firebirds a special team this year?
5: Uh, I think it probably starts with coaching. Like, I think Eric Walwood is just, He's a player's coach, and I think a lot of, they were still, a, for the most part, a younger team, and I think players really like coaches that, that coach to them, and Eric Wellwood, being so young, does that so well. Like We talked to uh, Dominic Knig about this team, and he just mentioned like how often Eric talks to these individual players, and, and oh, there's my cat jumping up now. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, <laughs> I knew something was going to happen. Uh, but yes, I think Eric Wellwood is a big reason. And it's a reason I think they're going to continue to be good. You take a look at um, their Twitter feed, just the way they treat these players and I I think it's because of you know, their past and, and the situations that have been there. The equipment managers, everything they do is to treat these guys as as close as pros as they possibly can, and and I think for an environment uh, for young players to be in, it's it's great because they really are learning how to be pros, and for a development aspect, that's that's awesome. So when these guys are getting older, um, they're really pr- playing the right way. Like I'm really excited to see what uh, Brennan Offman does next year. Uh, I think 33 points, uh, but I I don't know. I think he, he's going to come in and probably. I'm really interested to see what he does.
0: Yeah, and there's and there's, I mean, obviously you had your Ty Dellandrea who has a good tail, but and then they had you know guys like you know Ryan McCourt, Cody McCorgan or Cody Morgan, excuse me, I'm getting the McC put together. Um, but they, <laughs> you know, they've had. I mean, did they? Do you think they that was a team that could have gone far into the playoffs? I mean, you know, because like I said, I don't think this team has been in the playoffs since they've been in since they were in Plymouth, I mean, it's, it's such a hard, at least if not, at least not as a contender, at least, would this been a team to actually pose a threat in the West? Uh, yeah. Like, like I
5: said earlier, that was one of the most interesting parts of the West because you had Flint, Saginaw, London and Kitchener. And to be honest, I wouldn't have been surprised if any of those teams won, like, uh, another player, Oxen This guy was really coming into his own, I know he's still eligible for the draft. I assume he'll get picked in the later rounds just because he's a little older. Um, But, yeah, they definitely had uh, a chance. They had great goaltending from Popovich. I mean, it was up and down, but for the most part, he he was good and someone I think would have been great in the playoffs. So, I think they would have had a shot. I don't know. I was really feeling Saginaw at the end there, and that would have been a great – if that was – if that was a series Saginaw Flint and just for, for junior hockey in Michigan, like for the OHL
0: standpoint, it would have been great for the league. I'm trying to figure out, I don't know. Cause Saginaw came around in the early two thousands. I don't think them and Plymouth ever played in the playoffs. Cause when, you know, you had the Tyler Sagan whalers and how good those teams were for a long time, the, the spirit weren't really there. They weren't up to that level and they kind of flip flopped over the last half decade. So I mean, we've never had a Michigan series, at least to my recollection. I'd love someone to prove me wrong, but it it was probably you know many years ago at this point, but we've never had that, and i've been to i I'd been to a Whalers game, and I think my first junior game ever was the Knights playing Saginaw back in, oh gosh, probably 2007. And you know, they're both great, you know, at least the Plymouth Whalers at the time when you know I, went, I think it went 2010. You know, that was a popular franchise. And that's why, you know, Saginaw, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Junior hockey is, you know, this awesome thing here in Michigan. And then both teams kind of fell a little dormant. But now if they can both play well and rise, I think it'll make, I'll be honest, it'll make it tougher for some kids in, you know, in Michigan to, you know, do they want to take the college or do they want to play in the OHL for some two quality franchises?
5: Yeah. Like you're seeing it more and more with, uh, I mean, Saginaw is more willing to take chances uh Flint's first pick was a kid from uh Compuwear. I can't remember his uh, his name right now but yeah I mean it's important like over here in Canada a lot of people they say they just like fans in Michigan and in Erie there uh they just don't understand who they're watching when they watch like the OHL like these are future NHL stars and and I think obviously the better a team is they'll draw them out and then they will see the skill of these guys. And then later they start to realize how many great players go to the NHL, um, while they're watching the Detroit Red Wings soon, they might be like, Oh, there's Cole Perfetti. Like how great would that
0: be? Um, just to grow hockey in Michigan. Yeah, that, that would be huge. And by the way, I did do a quick look here at the Flint Firebirds drafted Gavin Hayes out of Detroit Compuware, six foot one at age 15. He's gonna grow some more, so he'll be hopefully someone the firebirds <laughs> yeah. can use. If I was six foot, I was probably I was about six foot, six foot one around that time, and I grew a couple more inches. But going over to the Eastern Conference now, the team that I I, I don't know if you can say they're that good or if the conference was just that weak, but the 67s just ransacked the Eastern Conference, with the exception of Peterborough, like you said. The only team with 101 points, the only team with 50 wins. And you know it's funny because the teams that you know really bulk up towards the season. Because I did a lot of coverage for the OHL last year for a, another website, and I remember I said the sixty-sevens. I'm like, man, it's going to be Ottawa, and it's going to be London. But then London had to choke, so it was them and Guelph. And I'm like, all right, there's no way Guelph's going <laughs> to be Ottawa. Oh my gosh, they beat Ottawa because at that point, Mikey Pietro looked invincible, and the sixty-sevens yeah. looked like this dominant team. They're showing it again this year. And now they have, you know, they have the coach of the year. They have Cedric, you know, uh, Cedric Andre, who, who, it, if you look at his numbers last year, were almost comparable to D. Pietro's. Except D. Pietro was the veteran goaltender, so they went with him in the playoffs, and you know, darn near worked. But Andre has shown that even if you lose your starting goaltender, that he filled that role very admirably for the Sixty Sevens. Yeah, I, I watched the interview
5: with him, and and they asked about that, you know. Uh, he was playing pretty good. DiPietro was kind of on a down year last year, and they bring him in. And, and he talked about how he just, you know, stayed strong mentally and knew this year he'd, he'd get another shot and, and would prove why he, he is a goalie that he is. And he had a fantastic year. Um, I mean, the whole whole team, like you said, just offensively dominated. And, and I guess you could think it's because of how weak that conference is, especially with some of these, like, point numbers. But, yeah, that, that team – like it was just tough to deal with like a Marco Rossi night in night out. And this is a guy that didn't go to a world junior team because uh, his team wasn't playing in, in the division one. So it wasn't really worth it. And he got to tear it up when all these other stars are, are gone. So it, it was really just,
0: it, it looked like they were about to have a perfect season. How, how do you think now it, that is a funny point you make? Cause all these, you know, that's probably why you saw Cedric Andre play a lot last year when DiPietro went to play for team Canada, do you think, how do you think the points would be if these players, these top end players, you know, across the CHL for that matter, not just the OHL, if they stayed instead of the world juniors. Now I'm not saying we should not do the world juniors. It's the best tournament during the, <laughs> I guess the NHL season, if you will. What do you think that the numbers would be bigger? Or would we see guys put up like 150 points a year? 50 goals would be nothing. I mean, would you think that would happen in a case like that if these top-end guys didn't go play in these tournaments?
5: Uh, for, for some of them, yeah. Like, uh, I think you take a look at Connor McMichael or, or Nick Robertson, how many goals he was scoring. Like, some of these guys are on a, a two-point-per-game uh, pace. So that little break uh, kind of brings them back down to earth when it, when you look at the point race. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely would inflate the numbers, uh, whether that matters. I, it, I don't think like, you could just look at points per game and, and really understand where everyone's at. So it doesn't really change much. The level of play doesn't change much. And, and that's why you got to have depth. You got to draft well, because it's those young players that are most likely top six players that are on your third or fourth line that get moved up. Uh, and you have to, have for you during those times, and, and a lot of times, that's that's the difference between great teams.
0: That is definitely the case. And one team that I can't say is great because they barely made the playoffs this year. However, they have a great player. You could say exceptional. <laughs> See what I did there? Because you got exceptional status. Anyways, yeah, I was, Sh- well, good word to you, Shane Wright. And I'll tell you this, I. Uh, after the whole Sean Day, and after Joe Valeno kind of, you know, wasn't quite the superstar in the QMJHL, granting exceptional status was almost like a hard thing to try to do again. And then, yes, this kid was from Don Mills Flyers, puts up, uh, what was it 150 points last year? Like, okay, let's try it. And he goes to this Kingston next team that has not been good since I couldn't tell you. I mean, was Harper still in office? I'm pretty sure that was how long ago it was. I mean, (laughs) but then he comes in and just absolutely, now yeah, 60 points doesn't sound like a lot, but look at the team he's playing with. This kid, if he's not rookie of the year, I don't know who is.
5: Yeah, he he for sure is going to be getting rookie of the year. I mean, he was on pace uh, to possibly beat Tavares' exceptional status record for most points or points per game, sorry. Uh, and he's ahead of Connor McDavid, and even looking at those GTHL numbers, he was ahead of Connor McDavid as well, or comparable to Connor McDavid, so when you look at everything about him, he he definitely was exceptional, because I was the same way as you with Sean Day. If you take a look at his uh, minor midget numbers, he did well. He was big, and he he skated well, but I think dominant players put up points. I know he was a defenseman, but even Aaron Ekblad, he put up point per game, and he, he was a Man child, and he still put up, like I said, some points. And and dominant players do that. And even Joe Valano, again, that's another player. He played a year up. He did okay. Like, he did good. He was a good player, but he wasn't dominant like uh, Connor McDavid and John Tavares were when they played a year up. And you even see uh, Jack Hughes, when he applied for exceptional status, he got denied. And I think it was the right thing because, again, he was just a point per game, did not dominate. And Shane Wright dominated. Um, minor midget, and in some way, he dominated as an exceptional status player. Very McKinnon-like. He's the kid sick.
0: Do you think now? Because now they're bringing back Paul McFarland, and do you think his coaching style will mesh well with you know Shane Wright and the front next to make this team better around him? Because obviously, there's no question about it. They're going to build the team around a kid like Shane Wright. Because you'd be dumb if you didn't. Does this team actually have the tool? Because, I mean, if you think about it, how the Otters were before Connor McDavid and how they have been since Connor McDavid, and after, I guess, Connor Brown after he left too. Do you think this is a team that has a chance, at least for these couple of years, to really make some hay and possibly be a contender in a year or two if they put the right pieces together?
5: Yeah, I, I think so. I think they got some good pieces in Chromiak uh, and uh, Zade Wisdom. Um, also Ludwinski was their pick this year. He's a centerman. I think that'll add to their, their center depth. Um, as far as Paul McFarlane, like it, it's funny cause I was talking to Cody, the other host on the VO the show, and I said they should go young. And, and the question was, well, don't you think they need someone with more experience? Well, with Paul McFarlane, they're getting someone young with experience. It's kind of the best of both worlds there. And I think he really wants a a head coaching job in the NHL. So that's why he kind of came back and and for the opportunity to coach Shane Wright is is unbelievable in itself uh, to kind of get a shot at the NHL. So I think Paul McFarland is going to do everything he can to make this team a contender because his career is kind of on the line. If if you don't win with this team, it's like, how can we bring you to the, the NHL? You literally had the, one of the best players that the playing the, uh, the OHL.
0: Yeah, there it's, it is tough, obviously. Cause we've seen it before. I mean, I mean, shoot, you can look at this year. Guelph went from making it all the way to the, you know, the, to the Memorial cup to, you know, finishing only. I mean, at the time, at the time of the pause, only a few points ahead of, you know, not making the playoffs. That's just, you know, based on, you know, teams trying to, you know, sell the farm for overage talent at the end of the, you know, at the trade deadline. But, it is tough to have a team consistently, but I think if you want to, you could def- just go out and get as many players you can to put talented players on the wings of Shane, Wright Or around him and just let the kid flourish and boom, he's going to be hitting 95, a hundred points possibly next season. If McFarlane and the comp- you know and the front necks are able to do that, which would be great for his development. Cause then he knows what it's like to play with good players. Yeah. It, it's
5: definitely something that's, that's gotta be done. I think, uh, I think wisdom was, was pretty good on his wing. Um, I, I think they're going to need, like, they got this Jacob Murray kid. He's a young defenseman, but the, they're probably going to need another defenseman that can, uh, get the puck up. You know, Shane Wright wants to break out of the zone. You got to have someone to, to throw it up to him, and, and I think they're going to need that puck moving defenseman really, you know, get, get the breakout moving for a player like Shane Wright. Um, who isn't the greatest skater. I mean, I guess if you had to pick something to work on, that would be it. But like, I'm okay with how he is right now. So yeah, I would probably get a defenseman more than a, a winger if I'm the, uh, the Kingston front
0: And of course, probably a goaltender would help too, because if you have a goaltender that has a goals against an average of over four and they're asking, you know, if they look at your numbers and they ask if you play lacrosse, I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, you know, that could definitely help. And, and granted, yes. And there, the numbers for goaltenders can be kind of askewed skewed at times just because of how, you know, I mean, the Kingston, they weren't, like I said, they weren't the best team. They were at the bottom towards the playoff picture and yeah, goaltendings hit or miss with some. And I actually just talked with, you know, earlier on the show with Laura Storian, who is a St. Louis blues writer and she in their system, they have Joel Hofer. And I don't think I've ever seen a 1.3 goals against average for any goaltender in the world juniors, but Joe Hofer is that. And it's it's hit or miss with junior goaltenders. So just to get someone close enough to be like, all right, maybe a three and a half, and you think the front necks move up three or four spots in the standings.
5: Yeah, like they have uh, Ryan Dugas. Uh, like the OHL is weird. What I notice is, these I mean, goaltending is always takes long to develop. And what seems to happen is you kind of seen it with uh, Jacob Ingham this year, older goalies seem to be the best goalies in the league. You know, you get a 20 year old goalie and he seems to figure it out all of a sudden. And and is one of the top goalies in the league. Uh, Douglas will be 19 next year. Um, So maybe he can figure it out, but yeah, you can always, the OHL goalies, it's, it's kind of a carousel. They're always trading for each other, and, and, you know, once you get that 20-year-old, you're, you're pretty much set. Um, so maybe they'll do that, but I think Dugas, like, such a mystery. Like I said, it's like as soon as these guys get a little older, it's like they flip a switch and they just turn it on. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just something I've noticed in the OHL.
0: Well, that's, that's something you'll, you'll never see a an exceptional status for a goaltender because it's so hard unless i mean i don't think there's ever been a goaltender to have like a 1.0 goals against average or a 940 save percentage in the gthl or something like that because the the funny thing is is that because you have those you have two very separate i guess levels if you will in the gthl you have your top end teams and you have your bottom end teams that aren't the best Now, if you had a goaltender on, you know, a last place team in the GT putting up nine fifty save percentage, okay, you could maybe talk about it. But I mean when you're getting seventy shots a game. But you are right in the fact that goaltenders get traded all the time because I don't think I have ever I'm trying to think of all the goaltenders I followed in the CHL that stayed that were exceptional and they were really good, that stayed with their teams. Like even Zach Pucalli got traded from Halifax to Quebec. We talked about Popovich. He was always a solid goaltender, getting traded to Flint. And yeah. I mean, I think well, maybe we mentioned D. Pietro earlier too. So. Yep, Windsor to Ottawa. I mean, even I think Carey Price stayed in Tri City in the WHL, and that's the only one I can think of that was actually, I mean, solid during his throughout his junior career and didn't move. I guess that's the only goaltender I can think of off the top of my head because if you're good, people will sell. You know. Draft picks ten years from now, albeit for you know a good goaltender for an overage goaltender, which I yeah, it looks like uh, Carter Hart. Uh,
5: I just looked it up quickly. He he played on uh, Everett his whole uh, whole junior career, never traded.
0: Uh, maybe it's a WHL thing. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Of course, then I'll again, see. yeah. <laughs> of course, then again, if you see, hey, are, we have a good overage goaltender, maybe we should get better instead of trade him. Eh, who knows? I mean, yeah. I'd so, exp- I'll be honest. It. Carter Hart was sick too, so. Oh, he was he was ridiculous. I mean, he, I mean, I don't even think Zach Vukali had a great tournament. I say that maybe that Carter Hart's tournament in twenty seventeen was probably the best Canadian goaltending performance since. I don't know. You could say maybe. I don't even say Dustin Tokarski. Maybe Steve Mason. I mean, probably that. I and mean, that's how probably long it's been since Canada's had well, such a consistent I'm- goaltender. Yeah, it says here he had a 9:30 in the in the WHL, where it's just, I mean, it's physical, but it's lots of high sc- high scoring throughout the times. And yeah, I mean, oh, I he
5: had a 9:47 for the season. The 9:30 was that World Juniors. He's, but both are just ridiculous numbers.
0: And to think that I thought he wasn't going to make it with Philadelphia, just because of the Philadelphia <laughs> goaltending curse. I said, it, I'm like, oh man, they're bringing him up too early. It's not going to work. Oh, he's he's playing well. Well, this may actually work. Maybe Ron Hextall wasn't crazy, but then again, Ron <laughs> Hextall was crazy. I mean, just let's put it this way. A little just a little bit. I mean, he only decided to attack Chris Chelios and you know, slash Kent Nielsman and Nielsen uh, and let's see, fight Felix Potvin, which he learned that was a mistake and none of us thought that was going to be a mistake. I'm just going to my historical references here now, but you know, I guess talking about that is, you know, goaltending in the OHL is so much different from... I mean, it's hard to ever say... Because Mikey DiPietro, you know, I hope he one day is able to make that jump to the NHL. I don't know how it's going to work right now with Markstrom and Demko up with the Canucks. But there's always certain goaltenders that say, wow, he he's looking good. And, I mean, I can pick... You can just pick any London Knights goaltender. But is it just because the team looks good in front of them that a lot of goaltenders look good there Tate. or is it sometimes, you know, the good goaltenders that lead the teams, it's almost, you know, give or take it's one or the other. There's never a great team with a great goaltender. It's either one or the other. It seems like sometimes.
5: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. It's a give or take thing. Um, Can a goalie win a few games? Like, you take a look at Ben Goudreau, super young goalie. He was picked eighth overall. That's probably the closest to an exceptional status goalie that you're getting. This was last year, Um, and he came in with an 890. But there'd be games where he had 50, 60 shots against and would only allow one goal. And you could just see everything about him. Like, Sarnia wasn't the greatest team, Um, but you could just see – everything about him his mechanics, you, you just know he's a great goalie and he still didn't put up great. Numbers. I think you've got to have a good team when it comes to numbers for, to see a goalie put up good numbers um, to be a great goalie. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I, I always judge. I always tell people, I mean, goals against average is great on a goaltender. Show me the save percentage. Yeah. If I see in the shots per game, because I've I broadcasted games against some teams down here, granted club college level, but I say I'm like, wow, 1.2 goals against average. Oh, he's getting 16 shots a game. I mean, that's Marty Burder numbers, you know, at the height yeah. of the one three one. So it, I mean, you show me a 960 save per, or 940 save percentage where he's getting 25, 30, 35 shots a game. Well, I'll take notice. And, you know, some do take longer to develop than others. Shoot, Jordan Bennington is how old? <laughs> I mean, he was yeah. he, he was a world junior goaltender. Granted, he was backing up Malcolm Subban, and we learned how well that went the hard way. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny Gaudreau, yeah. for that one. But one of the big things, of course, Tate, about this pause is that you know the season is canceled, and the fact that they're looking towards next season. And David Branch came out recently saying that they are going to start on time. They're going to start in September or late September, early October, whatnot, like they usually do. Do is it? Is it all talk at this point, Tate, do you think? Or do you think, you know, the commission has some has some merit behind what he's saying and that this is possible? Um, I would say, like,
5: I want to say it's all talk just because you got to think for the OHL, the, the gate revenue is real. Like, I can't see many other, like, a TV deal with Kojiko uh, can't be much or, like, sports. Like, they're not bringing in money from a lot of different places, mostly probably from the NHL is probably where they bring in most of their money. And that's where I could see it being beneficial is they want to start in September um, or as soon as possible, especially if if college hockey can't happen because then you can steal some of these future stars and get them to to play in your league. Because once they play in the OHL, they're not allowed to go play NCAA hockey. Right. So if some of these players think they're going to lose a year and hurt their development, if there's no college hockey going on, they might come to the O. So so for that reason, I think he, he want like, it might be beneficial that way.
0: It's it's funny you say that because uh, I don't know if you're a fan of him, but I listened to la Friedman's 31 Thoughts podcast and... He talked about it last week that the, the NCAA, cause, and, I, and I keep my tabs on that because I do cover that here down in the States, NCAA hockey, and they're trying to figure out what the plan is. It's the NCAA as a whole, not just hockey separately. It's you know how they're going to do the athletics and such, and they're talking about possibly pushing the season back and having it be a smaller schedule than it already is, And because NCAA teams down here in the States, they play no more than 30 games during the regular season. You're looking at a 24-25 game schedule, getting cut down in nineteen or twenty. And granted there's a lot yeah. of top end players that have already been drafted, and that's usually how it works. They get drafted out of the USHL down here or the North American Hockey League down here. So they're already set to have an NHL team. So I guess more or less they just want to use it to develop. But you know, guys like Cole Caulfield, who have have their rights with the Sioux Greyhounds, you know, they could go down there and play a sixty eight game schedule. And go up there and play a sixty eight game schedule and probably get better because it's more—I don't want to say more of a pro game, and I mean, granted, he'd be playing younger players, and I think he has one year left of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of in terms of junior hockey. I mean, that may be a bit uh, more beneficial move, and then of course the Montreal Canadiens are probably sitting there like, "Yes, go develop, and then we can put you on a line with Suzuki." <laughs> I mean, that's probably what they want to do.
5: Yeah, I mean, like these teams are not going to want their players. Uh, I mean, that's always the complaint about NCAA hockey anyways, is the amount of games, and now they might not play at all or have even less games. So for these NHL teams, they might be forcing these players. Now, when stuff like that happens, uh, you talk about the level of play, yeah, the level of play might get even better then because it's not just Cole Caulfield coming. Uh, like, you know, it, it'll be better hockey. It, it could be something like when we've seen the, the lockout um Back in oh four, I think
0: right 2004? two yeah. thousand four oh four oh five. Yep,
5: yeah. So that when uh, when a lot of guys were sent back, and you know we might see that kind of OHL happen, especially like we don't even know when the NHL starting, and some of these guys like you look at Quentin Byfield, who he, he's going to want to get some games in eventually, and if if the NHL season doesn't start till you know December January
0: in September he might want to play some games and then they'll be fresh as you know fresh as a button and I guess let's let's end on this question here because I am in between and I've talked to people from all sorts of the hockey world from all ends of it you know from scouts you know from minor league scouts to pro scouts to coaches broadcasters what make what difference what are the big differences in your eyes between Quentin Byfield and Alexi Lafreniere because I'm going to give my piece on you quick. Lafreniere at the before the World Juniors, I was quitting byfield all the way. But then Alexi Lafreniere played in the World Junior tournament and I said to myself, "Okay, maybe I'm wrong." What is your take on Byfield versus Lafreniere? Well, I think you're right. After the
5: World Juniors, I would give Lafreniere the uh, the upper hand. Um, but when you look at Quentin Byfield, I think we have to remember how young he is. I mean, another month, and he's in next year's draft. Right, which is That's- which is truly amazing. He's six four. Um, like he, I mean, we talked about Mario Lemieux and Austin Matthews. These big guys that don't use their body in that way, in a physical way, where instead they're using it to separate themselves from uh, defensemen and, and to hold on to the puck longer that's what I see from Quinn Byfield. Like he has the upside of of Gany Malkin and he could also be a bust. I don't know. (laughs) I like, I think he, he could be the better player, especially at his age. This is one of the guys that would, it would be so perfect if he could just play in the AHL because he's too good for the O. I don't know if he's ready for the NHL because of how young he is. Like he would literally be turning 18 a month before, Uh, playing in the NHL. So, like, he would benefit so much playing in the uh, AHL, but they have that, uh, the CHL-NHL agreement where he's just not eligible. Um, So I think that's unfortunate because if he comes back to the O, he's, I mean, you talk about point totals, it's going to be, like, it'll be ridiculous. Like, we're talking 160 points at least. Um, And he, well, I guess he'll be going to the World Juniors again, so maybe a little less than that, but still, like, I think it's, I, I see why Lafreniere is put ahead. He scored. Uh, I mean, he can score and he played a great world juniors. You have to step up in big moments, but you take a look at him and last year's world juniors, and it's pretty similar to what Quinn Byfield uh, played this year. And, and again, they're basically a year apart. So to me, Byfield has more upside.
0: Grant, I will say this your rebuttal about last year's tournament with Lafreniere. I I, I was not a Tim Hunt I was never really a Tim Hunter fan, and that just installed it even, even more because I knew how good Lafreniere could have been in that tournament. And then that's why I'm glad that they gave Hunter the job. And I'm just like, because this is why I'm like, let's see, this is why you give him the job because he'll do well. And I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know if they're going to go with Hunter again next year, but I don't see why you wouldn't because, or Mark Hunter, excuse me, I should say, not Tim Hunter. Why are all the hunters getting all the jobs around here? Seriously.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I uh, Mark Hunter's he, he's he's done it all in junior hockey and
0: Dale Hunter, Dale Hunter, sorry, not Mark Hunter. Gosh, not see, I'm getting them all mixed up. Dale Hunter, holy cow, help me out here. <laughs> Dale,
5: yeah, Dale Hunter was the coach. Mark was uh, GM, right?
0: Right. Yeah, they they're pretty much <laughs> at the hip. It seems like in terms of junior hockey. I mean- <laughs> uh, again, both
5: of them. This is what I'll say. Both of them have done it all in junior hockey. Uh, if they want to do it, I'm sure they, Hockey Canada will be more than happy to let them back, but it seems like often with World Juniors it seems to be something coaches do once they do it, um, or GMs, they do it. They If they win, they're happy, and then they move on to the next challenge. Uh, like Especially Mark Hunter is probably still looking for a way to get back into the the NHL. So yeah, I not like, like I said, I think if hockey Canada asks or if, if they tell hockey Canada, they want to come back to hockey Canada, will will definitely let them back, but it's up to them, I guess.
2: Oh yeah.
0: I mean, shoot, I'm Dale Hunter. Dale Hunter could have stayed and coached the caps if he wanted to, but he's like, ah, I don't want to, I just want to stay in London and stay at home and relax and coach the Knights to, yeah. you know,
5: I don't know if champs. he could coach the Caps. Anymore. Well, uh, maybe a different team. Well, I don't think, uh, I think he would have lost the
0: battle against Obi. <laughs> probably. I just remember because, like, because that was the year they beat, they upset Boston in the first round and, and hope he came on and I'm like, hey, this Hunter guy's a good coach. And then he's like, oh, he's going to leave. I'm like, why is he leaving? What'd he do? But hey. Yeah, I
5: think that was Obechkin not, uh, not loving, not oh. loving the coach. So, but he, he, like, he's another guy. He, he, I don't know if he wants to come back to the NHL though. Like, cause they, they seem pretty happy in London and, and they're so successful there. It's just surprising that they haven't, like they haven't gone anywhere. Like what, I don't, I don't understand because you would think the NHL would be open arms for these guys because of all their success in London.
0: I'm sure there's probably some team that thought about it, but you know, if the money's not right, I mean, if you, th- I, I don't know the numbers. You can probably tell it better than me, but I'm. You almost think that Hunter's probably the highest paid coach in that league, if not. I mean, I don't know who else would be in the CHL. Yeah, or at least in the OHL.
5: Like, yeah, I uh, they own the Knights and the Knights, With the Calgary Hitmen. Those are and maybe Quebec. Those are the three teams that really, really make money. So since he's an owner, I'm sure he's doing. I'm sure he's doing.
0: He's doing better than me. Oh, he's doing better than all of us. Shoot. Trust
2: me. If we,
5: if
0: we were doing as good as he was, we'd be on the radio. There we are. There we go. There we go. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the pipe dream right there. But hey, yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I appreciate taking the time coming on Tate. folks. Make sure you get on there and get on the Twitters and follow Tate Harris at Tate Harris nine. Make sure you go check out that. Oh, the old podcast, the OHL podcast at podcast OHL. Him and Cody Wall provide great coverage for one of the best leagues and one of the three leagues in the CHL. Everyone can take their arguments on which they like. I've talked to people in the Quebec League, the Western League. They think their league is best. I love all three. Memorial Cup's great. It's a fun time. But make sure you follow that. When are you guys recording next there, Tate? Uh,
5: Probably tonight. We got, uh, and we'll probably be out maybe Wednesday, we just interviewed... Um, Francois LeMay, he, he wrote a book. He actually coached in North Korea, Really, uh, their hockey program there. And he he talks about just how, you know, I guess the Russians used to coach them and in the fifties and they've been using some of that equipment since really we're talking no curve on the sticks, sometimes sharing sticks during drills because they don't have enough sticks. So it's uh, a lot of great stories that he shared. Um, the book is called "Take Me Back: Coaching in North Korea." Um, he's, he's he was supposed to go back coach there again, and uh, uh, but the pandemic stuff happened, and, and he's going to be on their bench for the women's national team. Um, so pretty interesting stuff. I was excited for the interview. He told some good stories. A little, a little scary. Not something I would do, but uh, nonetheless, it, it was a great. I'm just trying to get some some different interviews, not always OHL related. Uh, I got, like, this weird – I'm not big on player interviews. I don't know about you. Right. Because uh, just the generic – like, with podcasts like Spitting Chicklets and stuff like that, like, I will never be able to get, you know, these players that comfortable to speak with me in that manner. So I I don't really do too many uh, player interviews unless I think they're, uh, they're fun and, and outgoing people, I guess.
0: Well, it's funny cuz I last year I was doing a little bit I did decide to, do a, you know, a preview episode cuz I was so involved with junior hockey last year at CHL. I did a, a Canada Russia series preview and one of the players for the Quebec League was Noah Dobson. And he had just been drafted by the Islanders and I said, "Why not give this a shot?" And I reached out to their PR guys. Like, "Oh yeah, he'll talk." And I did the interview with them and it sounded like he just woke up and I'm like, "Oh gosh, this was this was a bad idea." And and I, I, I—it's funny looking back in hindsight. And I said maybe I should have asked him to change sticks that year. Or it was a couple years ago now. But I maybe I should have changed sticks. Maybe not Bowers' your good stick, but you know they sound like they break pretty easily. Anyways, enough of my awful two thousand and eighteen World Junior jokes. Gosh, I still remember that. Just hearing Ray Ferraro go, "Oh no!" And I'm like we're going to lose this game. That's how it's going to (laughs) end. Yeah.
5: I can just picture. uh, Oh oh no. (laughs) That was just,
0: (laughs) I lay watching. I'm like, yes, we won. dobson has got, you're kidding me (laughs) in this. uh, (laughs) Oh, it's, it's, it's good to chuckle at now because you know, I, and it sucks that Uko Pekalukinen may not be the NHL goaltender that he was in Sudbury, but I'm glad I'm like, it was my, that was my goal. That was my favorite game. The entire tournament that year because Mikey D Pietro versus Luke, you know, Lucanen, two of the best goaltenders in the CHL. I'll put that one and I will argue that till the day I die. It was such a great game. Low scoring. Both goaltenders were great and just the worst break in the history, literally in Canadian hockey history. Just ugh. Yeah. if you haven't noticed, hey, I like if you haven't noticed, hey, I like Canada. I'd like to cheer for Canada, even though I'm from the States. I just, I love Canada a lot. So
2: slightly hey, partial. It's
0: okay,
5: we, yeah. we, we, we appreciate it.
0: <laughs> all right, Tay, we'll let you go here. Have fun uh, getting the podcast recorded. Like I said, folks, you can also catch the podcast on all sorts of platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitch. Find them all there on the O show. Thanks again once to Tate or thanks. Oh my goodness. I can't speak anymore. Thanks again, Tate for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks Todd. See you, man. And once again, that was Tate Harris from the O podcast, the podcast of OHL hockey the best podcast following OHL hockey out there. Tate and Cody, they do a really good job. Make sure you check them out. Like you said, tomorrow the episode will be up, and I'm interested to hear that North Korean interview. That'd be a very, very intriguing interview because remember how the South Korean hockey team, or the Korean hockey team, excuse me, made their women's appearance, at least, in the 2018 Olympic Games, which was very interesting to say the least how they have had the synchronized chance every time they had the puck and whatnot. It was pretty cool, but make sure you guys check them out. And that is it for this one, folks. I'm pretty puckered out. This is a very long show we had here today. Didn't expect to get three guests on this week. I'm really excited to have him on and tell us what you think of the interviews. Tell us what you think about Lauren talking about the blues and Brandon Leipzig and Rachel and Janae Anderson talking about the Red Wings and all their prospects they have, and of course just there with Tate. What do you guys think about some OHL stuff? Make sure you get involved once again in this episode of the QL Podcast. Tweet us at the qL Podcast. Use the hashtag TKP, hashtag the QL Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter for awful takes and very uh, just funny com. I, I like to think funny comments, but they're probably not. My wife says they're not. But you can follow me there if you want to, at TJKU29. There on the Twitter. We're trying to get an Instagram page going, guys. Don't worry. We're going to try to take some dumb pictures of us here while we're recording, and means I'm going to have to, you know, actually look presentable because this quarantine has done me no good. My hair, despite looking like awesome hockey hair, has gone. Not, It just hasn't gone well. Not enough mousse in the hair. Got to maybe put some product in it. Maybe I try to look presentable around here. Regardless, thank you once again, folks, for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next time on the Q podcast. Goodbye. That was a lot of interviews. How long is this thing? Three hours? Holy cow. This thing's forever. Are you guys still listening? Good for you. I'm going to go to bed now. Good night.